Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. It's the moment you've all been waiting for. Rules to our Great Lakes Guitar Pickup Giveaway. In cooperation with Great Lakes Guitar Pickups, we've got free pickups to give away. Jim and I will be demoing the pickups as long as our promotion goes on for it, and it's supposed to last for an entire year. Make sure you're watching and sharing the videos with interested friends. I mean, who couldn't use a set of killer guitar pickups, right? So here's how it's going to work. First, on February 11th, a special word will be posted on Great Lakes Guitar Pickups Facebook page. A second word or phrase will be placed randomly within the episode of the Practical Guitarist podcast that is released on February 11th. Combine both of these words and send us an email with them. All who respond with both words will be entered into the drawing. Also, once you win, don't bother entering again, as you will not be eligible going forward. Make sure you tell your friends. Hi, Jim. Hi, David. So there's this important event that happened, uh, in the last two weeks, I guess for many musicians, um, <laughs> I haven't really been paying that much attention to it. I, I've watched some coverage over the last couple of days. You know what that event's called? Because I can't seem to remember. It, <sighs> the, it, I know. I, I don't know. I, it had to do with a place <laughs> in the east, like <laughs> Nam. Was it Nam? The, the fucking Nam. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What we're talking about. Uh, Obviously, Bam, and Bam. we have, of course made a joke about a movie, um, uh, not the place, not the war, but nope. the movie that talks about Nam, that yep. is, of course Gump, and the uh, guy that's wearing an American flag, so immediately is in the wrong. But uh, moving on, um, <laughs> if you haven't seen the movie, check it out. Good music in that movie too, by the way. Um, yeah, so Nam happened, Tim. I know you have some very colorful thoughts. I do. Damn this but, year. But I want to talk about, yeah, uh, <laughs> extremely. But I want to talk first about what it, what Nam kind of means nowadays. Because Nam, Nam has had a, um, I, I, I've been watching a lot of the coverage this year. And a this lot of people are talking covering about Nam. What's that? This is our second yeah. year covering a Nam. Yeah. And no, we didn't go. No, no. <laughs> now, that's what I was going to say. So there's, there's kind of like four, I'm generalizing, of course, but there's kind of four camps of NAM, uh, of people that are interested at all in NAM. Because right, when right. I walk outside my door and I mention it, people are like, what the hell are you talking about? I yeah. mean, they, they just don't care. They literally don't care. Yeah, yeah. And, and yet you'll see guitar players literally in tears almost on the internet going, I can't believe I can't go to NAM. So anyway, there's really four kind of camps of people. There's the people who went and they went there for, for the purpose, uh, the biggest purpose, obviously that, that it was built at least that it was created. Mm -hmm. And that was to, um, uh, for finding information about gear and vendoring. Yeah. Um, which is almost, um, in the guitar community, at least almost completely nil. Then you've got, um, you've got the, uh, uh, people who go there to, to mingle. Those are your YouTubers. Those are your um, your professional yeah. musicians. And, 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 it, and these days, those people do have connections to the industry in a lot of cases. 
Absolutely. And I'm not, so, I'm, I'm not undermining that or, yeah, or uh, yeah. trying to, trying to say that or lessen the importance of it. Um, as a matter of fact, that's what I want to kind of get to here in a minute. Then there's people who um, didn't go and don't care like myself. And then there's people who couldn't go and wanted to go, but they were like, Oh, it's the public. And I couldn't get it. You know, I couldn't get a ticket. So, so. I, I could have gone this year. I'm just too poor to afford the plane ticket. Well, that's, I mean, I'm sure I could have pulled a string and got there, but what well, the, we, we both could have got there. We're, we're pressed right. now, but right. But why? I mean, it's just another YouTuber. It's just another podcaster. It's just another person there doing the same thing as, as the hundred other podcasters. Yeah, there. I mean, it's, I mean, it's well covered. In fact, um, Jim and I were, we, we kind of been going back and forth about doing this episode all week. And um, I've listened to other podcast coverage and I'm like, there's not really a whole lot here that we're going to say that they didn't already. Right. Um, well, I want to, I want to talk to what you were talking about. So um, a, a couple of podcasters were talking about this. And, and one of the things was about how it's not open to the public. And I'm going to, I'm going to give a good reason that it never should be, by the way, but um, that I think it never should be. But um, uh, on the other side of it, because I, th I think that what will happen if they open it to the public, it'll become just, Nothing. It'll, it, it won't. It'll be like the Sweetwater event. There'll be a there'll be a couple of things that. Have, well, for number one, it'll never open to the public because this is not a sales venue. Right. Right. Well, see, that's what they were talking about. So these these um, other uh, YouTubers and podcasters were talking about the fact that what they should do is, in all reality, um, it, and it's been a long time. We're talking a long time that. Uh, the, the vendors had already, their, their salespeople had already reached out to um, their, their bigger, um, you know, distributors yeah, and, and, and distributors. yeah, their sales play, you know, their sales locations. And so they had already gone through everything and said, hey, here, as a matter of fact, this year, uh, and, and I'm going to talk specifically to the Acoustasonic, um, which obviously I'm, I'm less than excited. I would be more excited about Charmin introducing a new toilet paper than the acoustic. I have only heard one person say that they are excited about that thing. Yeah. I, I am. Or think it's cool in some way. Yeah. I, for $2,000, they can keep that thing. That's for sure. Well, um, yeah, as a matter of fact, for $500, they can keep that thing. Let's cover, let's cover that thing later in the episode because I have right. a lot to say. Yeah. So anyway, what I was saying is, so, what happened? And, and this was only, that's only one thing that I saw several of where like um, a group that did fantastic NAM coverage was uh, Anderson's and mm -hmm. the they day of NAM, right. The, the morning of NAM, they released their video that they had shot actually in December uh, before Christmas of um, the Acoustasonic. So yeah. um, they were, and they admitted that. Yeah, we're we're doing this and blah blah blah, and uh, we're we're talking about the acoustic and they had them in stock. And the day Nam hit, now this is a good thing. By the way, I'm thinking this is a good thing. The day Nam hit, the day the announcement was there, Sweetwater had them in stock, Tar Center had them in stock, everybody had quite them. Quite a stock. few, quite a few products actually debuted that way this year. I forget there was something else that was announced that I went, I looked, and Sweetwater had them in stock, and I went. Well, oh, hell. Yeah, yeah. What was the other? We we did look up another thing. That remember, I, I honestly don't remember. I, I um, want to say it was that amplifier or something. But anyway. It could um, be. That, it could. Uh, what was the amplifier that somebody was excited no, I don't about? Think it was the, I don't think it was the Pete Thorne one. The Pete Thorne. Oh, yeah, no. no that, they, but they the, did have it listed already. Yeah. And so, obviously, um, and this is the thing that the other podcasters were talking about and YouTubers were talking about, because these people were also um, at one time in the in the buying, selling 
community, um, they were talking about the fact that, you know, these things were already done. The deals were already made. Many, and a lot of cases, times, yeah. yeah, and a lot of times what would happen, um, one of, uh, I'll, I'll mention one of them, Phil McKnight was saying that they would send him a ticket. He was like, I don't even need to go. When he, when he had a store, he had a large store. Yeah. He was, he was a m- over a million dollar a year store. Um, so when, uh, as a matter of fact, over a few million, uh, if I, if I remember it right, like three to three and a half million um, a year. So he's, you know, he was what they would call a lower, lower end of a medium store. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, now, and for a mom and pop, that's pretty good. Right. So uh, um, anyway, he was talking about how uh, he had already put in his orders. Everything was done. Him going to Nam at that time, because he wasn't a YouTuber, he said, I could have stayed home. I got nothing at Nam that I didn't already have. The flyers had already been sent to him. The emails had already been sent. Everything was done. So my point is that the, the, what he was saying um, and what a few others were agreeing with is that they should have Nam like Thursday, which is, the, I guess, opening day. Yeah. They could do all of just don't let anybody else in. Don't let press in. Don't let anything yeah. else. Just distributors and, and uh, you know, the, the stores, the buyers. And all the networking stuff, right? Right. No, right. But you're not networking, not the networking that musicians do because what is it? Yeah, but I don't consider that networking. Like what NAMM's purpose is for is for the distributors. See, that's just it. Network. I mean, all you saw um, from a lot of podcasters was, "Hey, look at this! There's another podcaster. There's another podcaster. Oh, I got to meet so and so podcaster." I was watching Ola, and he's just literally <laughs> walking around and talking to like Tyler Lawson and and you know, all the yeah. other. Yeah, like it was really kind of funny. It's like it was, really you you can't turn around without like running into another podcaster. Yeah, you or, couldn't. Or you not couldn't. podcaster, but YouTuber. Like in his case, right? Like scratching my head like okay yeah you couldn't sling a dead cat without a youtuber with a microphone on their face you know yeah in front of them and so to me that means that there was way too much well what that um, means is that all the the nam coverage is on youtube now right well there's that too i mean you know uh even the printed um you know groups uh guitar player and guitar world them, well, they, yeah, they we were there we were talking about this before it happened like for, when i first heard about nam i'd been playing about a year or two and I picked up an issue of one of the guitar magazines and I flipped through and they're like, Oh, here's all the new products. And then I saw the words Nam, and I started to realize like, Oh, so this is the trade show for the industry. Right. And it was kind of funny because I had this, like this weird impression at the time. It was like, Oh, this is where everybody goes to announce their new product. That's right. really not what it was. And it took me a year or two to realize, Oh no, this is really about like Fender selling to its, to its dealers or in the case of Fender, they don't really do that, okay? Right. And 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 it really, almost no company does it that way anymore. What they do right. is they, um, they have these back channel like websites and stuff that if you're a regular dealer of theirs, you can go to this website and see new products before they happen. A lot yep. of times while they're in development because they want the dealers excited so that the dealers will hold on to money so they'll buy it because they know it's going to sell well in their store. Which which at one time was the purpose of NAM because they didn't have that. Right. right have right. that high or the speed. internet. We're talking, we're talking, we're not talking that long ago, 15, yeah. 20 years, well, 20 years, 15, 20 years ago when um, companies were all on the internet and when, um, you know, it suddenly everybody had yeah. a web presence. When they had now, their, their, their dealer portal that showed correct. up. And so, what would happen is um, Phil McKnight was saying that they would send him a ticket. 
here's a ticket to NAM. Here's a flight. We're going to pay for everything. We want you out here. Please stop by my booth. So mm-hmm. I can tell Fender, I met with you. Even yeah. though the order was already placed. He said, why? I've already placed my order. And uh, so it's it about making of, a quota. Yeah. It was about, about, about the regular touchy feely, like touching base with right. this particular person. And now, now I, you can know, see it with I a get company, it. A company like Anderton's, I get it. Because for them to be able to touch it, unless like with the Acoustasonic where it was already in their hands, you know, Paul Reed Smith had that booth and it was well done. I thought that Paul Reed Smith's Smith's booth was really well done as far as what you could see. Um, And the NAM coverage that they did was really good. But so then you've got, like I said, you've got that other side of it. And it almost becomes like, I've talked about this before the YouTuber is then the celebrity because it's like I said, you can't sling a dead cat without having a YouTuber meeting a YouTuber. And it's like, but you're not a celebrity. You know, you, a lot of people know who you are. I guess that is a, that is a, a version of celebrity, but you're not really. I, I mean, Don, to, to be honest with you, Jim, I think that some of the YouTubers now are bigger than your, your, regular players and i'm not talking about the classic rock guys the guys from the 70s and 80s and really even the 90s but they are they are today's popular guitar players yeah it's becoming that again it's becoming that way oh i think it's been that way for a while already i think i think we're just now becoming aware of it i think okay so i'm gonna say this so tim pierce is a prime example um i could i could speak to dave wallman i could speak to uh even greg cock greg cock Here's these, here's these own individuals who at one time they were the ones behind the scenes. They were the ones, Tim Pierce, for example, was laying down tracks for people. Dave Wallowman was doing stuff for people. Um, uh, Greg Cock was doing stuff for Fender and for somebody else. Um, and so all these, all these big names weren't really big names. Tim Pierce, who knew, who, who knew who Tim Pierce was yeah. outside of until he went to YouTube and said, I'm Tim Pierce. And by the way, I played the solo on She's a Little Runaway on, you know, Bon Jovi. Yeah, and a lot, a lot of stuff. And, and that's the thing. Like, if you read liner notes, you might know more. Right. You know, if you're digging deep enough, you might know who he was. But, right. like, like, his real celebrity to him came out of the fact that he was, like, coming out and saying these things on YouTube and other media. Right, because there was a time, you know, like I was listening to Steve Lukather today. And he was talking about how he was on uh, an album and it, and it, and uh, cheap trick. Um, and his name didn't wind up on the liner notes. So there was a, you know, there, there, it's a possibility that Tim Pierce wasn't on the liner notes. There was a lot of wink, wink, you know, like don't yeah. tell anybody you did this for us too, which Correct. I suspect may be going on in some of those instances, but yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, and there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, they don't want to have to pay uh you know, I think more often than not, they're probably getting paid for it. I th- or, or it's one of these things. It's like it's a session where you get paid for the session itself, and you're but, out. Yeah, yeah, but I, but I think a lot of the time, even today, somebody like Luke Lather, I can never say his name right. Lukather. <laughs> when, um, when he comes out in the the public, it's just oh well, I did this, you know. Yeah. And everybody's like, well, you weren't liner notes, and then they listen back and they're like, well, it's clearly him. But then at the same time, it's like. Well, maybe he's breaking his promise to them now. Yeah, yeah. And I always wonder if, like, 
he, how long was the guy the scenes was like i'm not gonna tell anybody and then now that it's been like 20 years and they've made all their money he's like ah fuck it yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just didn't know that was me yeah that was me um but that, that, that's not the point the point is that that now um these things this groundswell of this new celebrity um has emerged uh and you got to wonder when the bubble's going to break but if that, there's a bubble at all exactly um and um so that pushes because these youtube celebrities um most of us are are there there are people that they're very accessible they're mm-hmm. you know you could you could probably find out where um these people live yeah it's like jim and i unfortunately yeah pretty easily <laughs> thank god i never received a mail bomb and so yeah that's exactly right so i was going to get to the last thing and that was the, the reason i would never think that i would never want nam to be completely open to the public is for that very reason i think that there are, there are security concerns and i don't think if you open that thing to the public I don't think you're going to see a Steve Vai there anymore. Not not yeah. during the public days. I don't no. think you're going to see a Phil X. I don't. Think I think that's a good point. I think even more to that end is the fact that um, it's not really necessarily security risk. Those people don't need that hassle. No. They call up. You don't. You think for a second Steve Vai needs to go to Nam for anything? I mean, he gets on the phone and he can call up Cliff over at Fractal. Or he can call up, you know, um, who's the, the head guy over at Ivan? I his name is. He called him up and, and just ask him, like, what's going on? And they'll tell him because yeah. they know they, they, for one thing, they've had a 25 plus year relationship and yeah. they're willing to, to play ball with him. Exactly. He doesn't need to eat and he can call anybody. He could, he could cold call. call. People that he doesn't have good relationships. And, and say, yeah. you know what? I've been looking for a new amp guy. Can you tell me? And then suddenly Fender is at his beck and call. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, even, so, even if it isn't necessarily them pointing at themselves, like, and they say, well, you know, we know this guy that builds custom amps for a couple of people that we've done work for, um, you know, the custom shop, like yep. they, they would do that for him just because that gets them in his good graces. And maybe he calls back later and says, okay, I'm looking for a new acoustic. Like, Right, right. Can you send me one of those Acoustasonics? And then the next thing you know, Steve Vai was playing an yeah. Acoustasonic. Bullshit. Well, I'm just, no, I'm just, <laughs> I, I'm just using that as an I know, example. I know. And so, um, and then you get to the last part, and that is obviously the people um, who uh, are, you know, in the, um, in the complete outside of the, of the bubble. And they're not, um, you know, they're, they're, Sitting at home, they watch these channels. They have no idea how much work it goes into them. Because I don't know if you know, I mean, you know, and I know how much work goes into this stuff. But when you're when you're outside of this, you have no idea the the time sink and the money sink this stuff is. People are like, <laughs> and it's not good. But that said, um, uh, what I was getting at is. That that those those folks are the you know they're they're the um, they are the end consumer of everything. They're the end consumer of the YouTube channel. They're end consumer of the podcast. They're the end consumers of the of the um, of everything. That's where the Absolutely. that's the fans. That's the money. That's where everything is. And uh, so you know that's my my fourth type of person. So arguably, Nam is no longer I. I 
I'm sure somebody's using it for this, but I doubt very much anybody has to. And that is the the bridge between the industry and the sales folks. I don't think it, I, I I think that that part of it, yeah. at least in the guitar community. Now, something that someone um, who has been there will tell you is NAM is not just as much as we want to think it is. Hell no, it's I mean, not just about guitars. Now, now I will I will say this though, Jim. Guitars make up two thirds of the industry, even now, because we are the. I mean, I, for, to be completely frank, if we go back and we talk about Guitar Center, Guitar Center started as organ center. Yes. Okay. There was a time when keyboards and organs and stuff like that were the top selling instruments in the United States. And when they realized that time had passed and the fad of rock and roll had taken on and everybody was buying electric guitars, um, that's when they flipped over and became Guitar Center. Now, you got to understand. Two thirds of your musicians, people who consider themselves the musicians in the United States, are guitar players. Two thirds. Yes, yes, but um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this: the the big part of Nam still, because of what its real purpose is, is still band instruments for schools. It's Pro still audio. so you've yeah. got. I don't know if Con still exists, but it was Con, um, C O N N. Uh, they were in the Midwest. Um, you had, uh, yeah, you have audio. You have now EDM is still out there, and EDM is yeah. a big part of it. A lot and of EDM, recording industry stuff. A lot of recording industry stuff. Right. So, so we've got to, we as guitar players think very much in our bubble, and that is that guitar is the center of the of the universe. I think that Nam provides, though, the one thing it does provide is where else you're going to get Paul Henning, Anderton's. You know, and these people into yeah, one place. Meetups, and it's not. Yeah, and, and, and I you know, actually the things that are most interesting to me are you see somebody like like, um, you know, uh, Henning Polly and like, um, you know, Steve Vai walking around together, and you're like, wait, right. what? Because because yeah. I mean, you wouldn't normally catch those guys together, and you and wouldn't see that. Their videos where they team up with you know celebrity guitar players, and stuff. but I yeah. mean, I wouldn't expect Henning Polly to be walking around with you know. Somebody with somebody like not not to say that, that some of these guys aren't as good, but I'm just saying like right. somebody of that ilk because it's like a different. That's they're really in different worlds, right? Right. That's that. That's what I was going to say. They are. It's not that. That's like saying um, you would see uh, uh, name uh, Christian Bale with Polly. You know. Well, I mean, it's, now we've got crossover celebrity stuff going on too. Yeah. Um, I saw Fred Armisen in a picture there. You don't know Fred Armisen. He's the guy from Portlandia. Um, okay. Now he is a musician, right? Um, and he's on uh, what well, I think this is Meyer's show, right? He's like the band leader for that show. But and, and you know he's not everybody's cup of tea. Um, I I think the fact that he's a musician gives him more of a reason to be there. But at the same time, I kind of looked at the whole situation and shook my head and I went, "Why is uh, you know, why is Fred Armisen touring Nam? It just doesn't seem like his scene at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, in a lot of ways, it's become the place to be. Right, right. And so. again, it's it's more about, you see more and more of it being people who want to meet people. Yeah. I mean, these and days, think, these people that act like they're the, the screaming babies on the internet that act like, oh, I can't get into Nam. Listen, anybody can get into Nam now. Anyone. I mean, you just have to you just have to ask the right people and know the right people. But the thing is that that I, I can tell you this: five years ago, I wouldn't have known um, what Nam was if you swung a cat at. I mean, I just did not know what. And, and that's and been I built up by the media, man. I didn't care. 
I honestly did not care. Matter of fact, I could say that probably three, three, three and a half years ago, if you said, yeah, I'm going to NAM, I'd be like, well, why would you go to, better, you better you want to bring Asia? some mosquito repellent. Yeah. Why would you want to go to Asia? <laughs> what, what are you going to do? Did you join the army? Did you find um, a land war in Asia? <laughs> you're looking for old mines. I mean, I don't oh, know what you're doing over there. Oh my God. What? They're, they're, oh, I know. I know. Don't think they don't exist. Oh, I know that we still have a Jim. Yeah. We, we still, still have, have a, we're still recovering munitions in, have a, in Europe from world war one and two. <laughs> we still have a, um, uh, Oh, remind me a uh, Europe thing here in a second, but we, um, we still have a, um, a DMZ over there. Uh, but anyway, um, or is that Korea? That's yeah. Korea. Korea. Korea? And yeah. is Vietnam still got a DMZ? I no, we, we left. <laughs> oh, that's right. We pulled completely out of it. Um, yeah, I know that Korea, good. that's right. That's right. Korea. We've still got a DMZ. Um, so in, uh, other news, well, speaking of Nam, one of the things that Anderton's, uh, was talking about, um, uh, the captain, Lee Anderton, was talking to uh, Paul Reed Smith. They were, they, and Paul Reed Smith said, "Yeah, you, you know, you love that uh, car of yours." And he said, "What kind of car is it?" Because he's, um, and then you find out Anderton's got a diesel um, Porsche. Come to find out, uh, diesel is going to be illegal in Europe. Yeah, shortly, like yeah. very shortly. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's well, the European Union. That's a weird place to find that kind of news. I don't, know if, I don't know if England's making it legal, but I know the European Union is, which is why the French government is in upheaval right now. Yep. Because they, uh, so the guy that the guy that got elected president in France, you can read about it. But basically, there's an energy crisis. The guy, the, the French president's a crook. The people are pissed. They're going to overthrow the government. Uh, yep. There's been massive rioting there. It's not stopped. Yep. Uh, despite what the media has told you, there are still massive protests. Um, and that country is extremely unstable right now. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, he was talking about how, uh, his car will be like worth nothing. Yeah. And I guess they're trying to get to where they'll have, you will have electric vehicles only. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the current regime in in England, but that may not, that may not stay that way. There's too many people in that country that are relying on, on uh, fossil fuels. If you think about it, in large shipping stuff there is, but if you think about it in in commuting, the size of England, just the the physical size of England, you could do that in an electric car now. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not saying that you can't can't have electric cars. I'm just saying you can't get everybody to replace them within like... Oh, no, they're talking like 15, 20 years now. Yeah, that's just not going to happen. So that's the other thing is uh, you got to remember, and I'm going to wax political here for a minute, but, but... all these countries are like, oh, we got to get all these gasoline and diesel-powered vehicles off the road. Um, really, if you just re- get your trucks off the road, yeah, your semi-trucks, yep. most of your goods are still transported via semi-truck, and yep. that's what puts out the most pollution by, Absolutely. by head and shoulder. By a long so, shot. Yeah. A long shot. I live, I live near a, a large um, uh, trucking you know, transfer station thing where they – Take them off of the, you know, because down here, you're, they're coming off of ships. They go through. Um, yeah. That's why you hear that train all the time going by my house. Yeah. They go, they go by train over to, that's another one that's, that's putting out a lot of um, uh, emissions. Then they go to the, um, uh, the transfer station. It gets puts on 18 wheelers. The 18 wheelers go out to the highway. Let's, let's, let's back out of the politics. Red. So here's the thing I found interesting. Like when you look at the brands that actually don't go to name, 
Yeah. Um, analog man. Well, interesting. Gibson did this year. Gibson has not Gibson had to. been to Nam in years. They did their own little thing up the street or whatever. Well, they did. Um, they did do Summer Nam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Summer Nam, but but that's because talking. it's local to them. It's very yeah. easy for them to do the Summer Nam. Yeah. Uh, they wanted to have Gibson wanted to have. I think they had a booth presence because I've seen coverage of their booth presence a couple of years ago, like yeah. three or four years ago. But their booth was like a lot smaller, and yeah. then they would always have like a satellite thing. They would take people. Right. I thought that, yeah, they, were, they had like the big thing was the satellite that was off uh, off campus. Well, Gibson used to do late year product launches, too. And that was that was part of what propelled that, because they knew that there was too many people from the public in them to be like showing off stuff that was going to come out late. In the year. Um, so they, they were still kind of clandestine about it. I think I mean, honestly, at this point, they should get on the they should get on the annual release cycle with everybody else. Um, unless they have some specialty thing coming out, but you know, Gibson Gibson's still making some weird shit, man. Like the the slash Firebird, like what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really known for Firebirds, right? He oh, he used a Firebird on that one song back in like like yeah. remember that one song <laughs> one time? Yeah, remember? So let's make a signature for him. It just it absolutely kills me. They're making him a signature toothbrush tomorrow. So probably. They yeah. probably already have. But remember that one time slash you to toothbrush? But um <laughs> oh god. So <laughs> I'm just messing with the was slash. That, was that for cleaning the little metal things on his uh, top hat? <laughs> um so uh that's not where a toothbrush goes. Anyway, so <laughs> the um the the uh, NAM thing, uh, uh, let's talk about what what did you hear about it, NAM? Cause I'm, I'm still like, I'm relatively head in the sand on this thing because I, I just don't care. Stuff hits the shelves. It's hits the market. It's YouTube channels. And I go, Diesel, Oh, that's kind Diesel of- brought out a straight up strat copy. Wow. Um, yeah. No kidding. Right. Well, no. And, and so I want to, I want to kind of preface this. They had the bolt before, which was a super strat ish. It, yep. it was a strat, but it would, but it did not have the contours and the belly cut in the same way that your, your, the Delos does, which is the right. which is their strat copy. I yep. will say this much: the heel, the sculpted heel. Yep. I mean, that's a big selling point for strat players, and it's yeah. got it. Yeah. Uh, that I, I, when I saw you sent me a picture, and so I went to or a link, and I went to their site, and then I looked up some pictures. Holy crap! Yeah, they're doing that, some really stunning work on that thing. That is, first of all, gorgeous guitar, gorgeous guitar. They built a and, clear one, and. I'm going to say this. I'm going to put even G&L up, run for their money because this is an American-made G&L's hardware is better. I'm, I know. That's the only thing I can say. like that this is, going to, this is going to do some sales. I think this is going to boost some sales. For, no, it's going to do really well for them. I yeah, think. They, so here's, here's my, here's my um, hot take on it. I won't buy one right now, and it's not because of the G&L thing. Actually, I... I would consider it if it had a fluid rose. And if they did it with multi-scale, they're doing it with seven string. They need an eight string version too. Um, mm. And these things may come later. Um, some of their other models have been that way too. Um, but honestly, I think where they, I, I would rather have their Aries, which is that ugly fucking guitar with the, the crazy like top route. Yep. Weird, because, yep. uh, because it's comfort. Like yeah. for, for just, you know, com- pure comfort. Like it's an ugly fucking guitar. I know. I know. People will probably say, "Oh, you're wrong." 
I, I think they're ugly <laughs> as sin. Um, and the whole thing where they they do the um, the back wood and then they route the top wood so there's like you can see the, the back wood. It's just ridiculous. It's just yeah. ridiculous looking. Yeah, it's ugly. Um, but what? but I would. I mean, if you could put Floyd Rose on one, it's going to play pretty much like a Strat. Yeah. I'm, so oh, I'm a hundred percent sure that if you special ordered one with a Floyd Rose, you could get it. Oh, I'm sure they um, could probably they'll probably do it. it. It'll be extra money though. Yeah. That's I mean that's how Kiesel is. It's like. Oh, well, you want this option that's not in the books? Oh, well, that'll cost you an extra that's, five hundred dollars. Well, know? they it, the options, as you know, they scale. But yeah, I would imagine that yes. having to route out for a for a Floyd Rose and do the other. That, I see some shit, man. Let me tell you. Okay, so I got. I'll, I'll reveal. Well, plain old wood. T- I've seen. Hey, you want this wood? Oh, that's an extra grand. I, I'll reveal this for the group. I'm in the Carvin Kiesel Owners Group, whatever the hell it is on Facebook. I joined a, a while back, and. um for whatever reason, you know how you guys know how critical I've been of Jeff Kiesel, right? Right. So I, I'm I, today. I was up. I was at work, and I was doing this video, and I like looked at my phone for a minute, and I got the notification that says that. Uh, you know, have you got this like super fan thing from anybody before? They gave you this badge. It's a Facebook badge called yeah, oh, Super yeah. Fan. I'm already a super fan for um, Mrs. Smith, but I get one for Jeff Kiesel. And I'm like, really? do you even know who I am? Like that, that was the way I, I was like, what? <laughs> like, are hey, you fucking serious? He's being the bigger man. <laughs> I don't think he gave it out. That's all I'm saying. I know. And, and if he's, he's aware of me, man. if he's aware of me, Jeff, we'd love to have you on the show. Come on. We'll do we it. We should. Yeah. I'd love yeah. to have you on the show. Yeah, we should um, but uh, the thing is, uh, I got this. I got this thing. And, and I was just like, I was just flabbergasted. But I'm in that group. And so I see these people talking about the options and prices and stuff that Kiesel does for like custom stuff. I mean, yep. it's just insane on some of this stuff. They made a, um, they made like a, uh, an $18,000 Koa angel is what they call it. And it's, a, yep. it, I mean, it is a, it is a guitar that is solid is one piece of solid Koa book match. Okay. Yep. And, uh, the, the most ridiculous flame Koa you've ever seen in your life. And I think they took one and they took one to, um, the dam. And yeah. I just, uh, I just sat there and I was like, who orders an $18,000 Kiesel? Isn't the appeal that you can get a custom shop guitar at like a bargain price? Yeah. You can get a custom shop Kiesel, even with a few amenities for less than $1,500. Yeah. That's- I mean, you can, you can get into a, a nice Kiesel for yep. way under 1500. Oh, if you, you can if be- you're willing to go bolt on. If right. you, if if you, you go- really want to set neck, you're looking at 1500 plus between 1500 right. and 2000. And if you want to go nuts, Yep. You can sky's the limit. What do you want? You know, right. <laughs> and and but I've seen him. I've seen him though. Like he'll do his uh, his uh, weekly thing, and I do like this about him. He'll say, "Hey, this piece of wood is up. If you yeah, order it, the, the next number, like call us and we'll, we'll put we'll hook you up. Yep. And we'll he does a regular. He's a QSC genius. I'm mm-hmm. telling you, or a QVC QVC genius. He gets out there. He's like this this wood here. Let me get it wet for you. And he yeah. put some water on it. He says, look at how good this would look on your, on your guitar. And then he goes, I can give you this top normally. And this is what I love about him. Normally be like, um, uh, $700, but today you can get it for 200, but you yeah, gotta yeah. order it right now. Yeah. So you know how Paul Reed Smith has the wood vault, right? Like they have the same yeah. thing and yeah. he'll go through there sometimes and like take pictures or whatever. He's a character. I got to give him that. I mean, I don't really think that, uh, he's Hey, he's a regular bad. Susan Lucci. But he is kind of like he—he he strikes me as like a used car salesman. Like 
He's, you know, but, you, but, buy this, you buy this top now or I'm going to club this baby seal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but the thing is, he, he's like, you can buy it now and you can get it for $200 or I'm going to put it back in the vault. It's going to be $600 later. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's, it's and it works. I've seen him oh, sell every one of them. Oh, I know. While he's Amazing. doing the live stream, like, oh, while he's doing the live stream, he goes, he goes, I'll show it one more time. Hey, he's got his assistant over there. I love that guy. His, his sycophant, um, Jeff or Jerry or whatever his name yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, he's over there. Hey, do we got any, um, yeah. So-and-so wants to see that piece of wood again. Can you get it wet? Yeah. Then he goes, Oh, and then the guy from the back, well, never mind, It's sold. <laughs> so now, they, so they have the, they have the triumvirate now though. They have, they have a telecaster. Yep. They have the Delos, which is their yep. strat. They yep. have a Les Paul. Yep. They need an SG. They do. And then once that's done, they'll have the four main ones, and then they can then sell their metal start. guitars. The metal guitars are still going to be the core of their business. That's not going. That is, and honestly, you know, when you look at Kiesel right now, um, Kiesel uh, in general, um, the the that's their core. That's the core sales. Yeah, yeah. Is metal. They're not they're not looking to sell to somebody like me. Just pop no, no, not at all. Or me for that nope. matter. They could care less about me. Yeah. They don't care about the blues guys. They don't care about the the I don't know say they would the they don't care, but that's that's not who they're marketing to. That's no, that's their market. And they do a good job is to the metal community. And and honestly, they make a, a good, uh, not good, a great solid instrument for a really great price. Um, and I think that, you know, there were a lot of people saying that, you know, when I saw pictures from their booths, exciting product, they, they really brought it this year. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, um, they had what the, else were you excited they about? The, they had the clear guitars. I thought those were really cool. They're not selling them. Those are, these yeah. were custom one-offs. They said they yep. weren't, weren't really going to get into making acrylic guitars and they, and they meant it. Um, yep. they were done to show off the electronics and the passages. Yep. I guess they got some new, they got some new, um, electronics coming out. And they've been working with Fishman. They actually install Fishman sets. So I'm wondering if they're kind of going after that Fishman market with their own yep. product internally. Yep. Um, what else did I see that I like? The uh, of course the boss, um, the Waza amp switcher, not the amp switcher, the reactive load box. Yeah, the reactive load box. Now that's uh, a so I saw some European pricing on that, which leads me to believe it's gonna be about Fifteen hundred American. That's pretty. They, nobody knows. I've heard. I've heard all over the place. I've heard yeah. everywhere. Everything from nine hundred to two thousand bucks. Yeah, and the and the fact is, regardless of how it goes in the U.S., because I've only seen some U.K. pricing, and that was that was. We don't know how accurate the price. It's going to be. It's going to be. This is my prediction, and I. There's nothing other to back it up, other than the other industry products that are out there that do what it does. It's going to be either. Uh, within a hundred dollars of the ox yep. or it's going to undercut it severely. Right. Right. So, but I, uh, um, I do want to say now I'm not, I'm not excited about it personally for my personal use. I'm not sure that I would buy one. Like I'm, I'm excited because right. I want to see it. Yep. And if it ends up being a product that I, that I really have a use for, then it's something that I would get into. I don't think it's not the be all end all uh, line mm -hmm. six held their event. Um, they announced the new helix stuff. The yep. new, new patches models and all that um, new colors and, well no those weren't new colors <laughs> i know okay just make sure just, i've heard people talk about like oh when are the colors i know 
No, those were one off things. They were one off things, and I think those were skins of some kind that they put on or something. Uh, no, they oh, I no, think anodized metal. Yeah, they were an, they were anodized. But yeah. um, so the the weird thing is like Line Six didn't have a product to show for Nam. Nope, um, nothing new. There are rumors going around that they are they are still working on a Variax in the Revstar. Um, that's been a rumor for a while now. So if you know. Yamaha Line 6, same company. Um, all of their guitar bodies are basically, like for the standard Variax line, are all Yamaha, Pacifica, or you right. know, that kind of stuff. Um, and they want to... The Rev Star selling like hotcakes to them is doing really well, and they'd yep. love to get those electronics into a Rev Star. But my understanding is that there's actually been some technical hurdles for that. Yep. The other thing is, I think, if they do that, they're kind of worried they're going to ca- cannibalize sales of the standards. So... I don't think that will be an NAM announcement product. I think you'll see the the regular standard variation just kind of dry up. Yep, and, and then, then the Rev Stars will just slowly show up, and, yep. and everybody will be like, "Okay, that makes sense." Yep. Um, I, I they have massive holes in their product line for Variax right now. That I'm sorry, but the Shuriken it's ugly as sin. I cannot imagine that guitar selling. What they should do. I was is, I was less excited about that than I was about the Acoustasonic, well, and I am really we're not getting there because I'm I'm ahead of there. The sh- <laughs> uh, the Shuriken, that thing is actually a um, it is a signature model for the for the guitarist from Twelve Foot Ninja, um, McKay. Yes, McKay, Paul yep. McKay, or um, and uh, I mean he's an, I actually kind of enjoy their music. I'm not a big fan; it's a little poppy for me, yep. but um. I kind of like, I, I think that they should leave it as a signature model for him and get a real metal guitar out. Right, right. As quickly as they can. Yeah. Um, I would like to, why not a seven string Variax? Or an yeah. eight string. I mean, yeah. that, they've already got a baritone. So, I mean, they're kind of, and if that's really where the market needs to grow for them, because uh, that I, I think, so I like six, to see numbers for seven strings because I wonder if you're really selling enough seven strings to make the worth. I think the it's R&D. a really specific market. I think if you're going to sell metal guitars, you have to offer seven and eight now nowadays. Um, even if it's just one model in your entire lineup that does it. Um, I was actually looking at the Tosin Abasi stuff. Yep, there's a huge controversy about Tosin Abasi right now because his um the company that's producing his guitars is uh, in a, in a war with the guy that was actually building them. Um, I won't go into specifics. You can read up on it. It, it. it looks like it's just a business relationship going really far South and right. both sides are kind of saying some shit. That's like, man, that's really not accurate. So right. Here, here's the situation. They gave him a big deposit. He ran off with some of the deposit money as, as profit. Right. And then was not able to provide the good, the goods that were deposited for. Ooh. Of course, Bossy's pissed. Yeah. Um, and so they had their parting ways. But it's one of those things where it's like, well, when you when you're building for other people, you do have to kind of take some of that as profit. So yeah, he could be mad and and yes, he should be able to deliver the goods and that should be his top priority. But at the same time, it's like it's kind of how the world works. Now they're claiming mm-hmm. and this is why I take issue with it. They're claiming embezzlement. And it's right. like, well, it's you don't he's not working for you so i don't know i mean again lawyers will sort that out nobody's going to get hurt in that one except that maybe he'll have to pay back money it's yeah. not it's not going to be a nightmare it's just yeah. a lot of people are really fired up about it 
And uh, I just thought it was kind of silly. Um, and of course, Gibson's new lineup for this year is actually really good. Yep. Um, they, they, they remember when we were talking about Summer Nam, everybody's like, oh, the, you know, the new lineup or whatever. Like, this is wonderful. Um, I really think that they didn't really show much at Summer Nam. I okay. think what they showed this year is starting to indicate like they're listening and yep. they need, and they know what they have to do. Cause they even had yeah. their booth this year was really impressive. They had people actually finishing guitars and stuff in their booth yep. just to show people like, we are about quality. We've always been about quality, but the problem is the perception is, does not necessarily match reality. Right. Um, so now they're going to have to change that. And yeah. uh, just making the choice to like put, put out standards that are standards. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was a huge, that's something we talked about two years no ago. No more standard traditional. Three years ago. Yeah. No, I mean, that, and, and they didn't need a standard traditional or standard high performance. What they need is a standard and a modern. And that's I think it. actually said that. Yeah, if you go back and listen to that episode. I'm pretty sure you'll find us saying we need a standard. Yeah, we a standard, and we need a modern, and that's it. Now they still have a huge lineup, and they've got the classic. I don't I think mean, it's going to change, but you've got but, the classic and you've got the traditional. Um, but finally, and you've got the studio, but you finally got the ability to look at um, a Les Paul standard and say, okay. I can afford a Les Paul standard or I can afford a Les Paul, you know, the classic, honestly, if you want a, if you want a true Les Paul, that's no bells, no whistles, go buy a classic or a traditional and put a standard, um, uh, truss rod cover on it, because that's really the only difference between that and an old standard. I felt there um, was a lot of diversity in their lineup too. And, yeah. um, it, it, it started to feel more like a fender lineup in the sense that, when when they were walking around the booth in these various clips, yep. like it just seemed to me like there's a lot of variety here, but not things you don't want to see. Right. And um, that, and the other thing they were listening to is they said, okay, you get you got your choice of the 50s neck or the 60s neck. So now you can say, okay, I want a Les Paul, I want a Les Paul standard, but do I have to wait for le- next year to get the right neck? No, now you can you can choose the you know the neck of your choice. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, like, and and that's something that I think that really should be dictated by whether you want traditional modern. Right. Um, right. But that's, that's fine. Uh, yeah. At the end of the day, I think they're making some good improvements over there. It'll be interesting to see what the pricing is. I don't think any of the pricing was announced. At least I didn't see any. Yeah, of it. I didn't. Um, and uh, hopefully well, we, can, there, we can be sure that we're, we can be sure that they're going to be in line with the standard that has been out there. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's going to be similar to a standard traditional price. Probably yeah, 2,700, 3,200. Yeah. In that ballpark. Right. Cause that's um, what a Les Paul goes for nowadays. That's right. Um, and that's what you're going to, that's what you're going to um, get, give for which, it. Which brings us to the, to the cake of this episode. This is the thing that everybody wants to hear us comment about. I'm sure. Um, the Fender, the Fender booth. Um, the Fender I don't want to end on that though. <laughs> no, no, we got more to talk yeah. about after that, but I yeah. think, I think we should take a, a good 10 minutes and discuss the, uh, the, <laughs> The atrocity that is the shit in the room. Um, (laughs) What were they thinking? Who left that giant turd in the corner? If you're in the guitar community and you haven't seen the Acoustic Sonic, first off, where the fuck have you been? Because honestly, I I, I told Jim when it got announced, every other photo in my Instagram feed for two days was a paid ad by Fender for an Acoustic Sonic. By paid ad, I mean it's like either a YouTuber or somebody was playing an Acoustic Sonic. Yep. Or it was literally an ad from Fender, like, "Hey, check out the Acoustasonic." Yep, um, FMIC. I have no idea why they're marketing this thing to to me, 
I'm meaning, you know, they can do these targeted marketing efforts and stuff and like why I'm ending up with this crap because I am not their target market for this guitar, right? Like first and foremost, uh, the guy that's learning to play cult of personality at his house right now is not the guy that's going to be buying a yeah. fucking Sonic. <laughs> um, this is a coffee house guitar. That's what this is, right? So it's for the guy that plays coffee house gigs, probably not making a ton of money doing it. He really likes playing, playing music for small crowds. And probably makes a decent amount in tips, but it's not like, you know, paying the bills money, right? Right. And so um, when I saw the acoustic sonic, I thought, oh, look, they did another another telecoustic because they've yeah. done the strat acoustic and they did the telecoustic yeah. for a while. And I think they brought the telecoustic back because yeah. it got canceled for a while. Um, and then they, I, I was never big on either of those because they were cheap. But like the thing was that you know if you needed a if you needed an acoustic guitar that kind of played like an electric and you were doing a little gimmick thing live like I got it because were like yep. right they were not right right they're cheap so then I I see the acoustic sonic and I hear some of the demos and and believe me they got some great players playing this thing that um, Danish Pete oh my yep. god he did some shit with that guitar that I was just like I, my jaw hit the floor yeah um, and and incredible. Uh, Jeff Biesiadekby turned me on to that video, and I was just like, "Holy hell!" Um, yep. But the, it, the guitar itself was not what impressed me. It didn't. It, was, it didn't make me want yeah, one. Yeah, that, that um, was the thing. Usually, his playing—it's like, oh, you know what? I'd love to check out like that, uh, that purple Telecaster he's got. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, um, but <laughs> I did not want an acoustic sound. When he was done, I was not like, "Wow, I want one of those." I was when he was done, I was like, "Wow, I'd love to play like that." <laughs> and that's when that's when it started to go off the rails. Yeah, I saw the video and I was like, "How much is this thing?" Gonna be? Yep, like it's coffee house guitar. I figure six hundred to eight hundred dollars. Yep, eight hundred was on the extreme high end. Right. Um, and they would be competing with like Taylor Acoustics, right? Like that's right. what they're doing here. Um, yeah. and the funny thing was when I saw the price, I about I about died laughing. I was like, "They're going to sell like ten of these." Two. Yeah. Thousand dollars. You have Fender. got to be. There is not, not a guitar in Fender's line that I would pay two thousand dollars for, let alone this abomination. <sighs> that this is, is that is Stratocaster. That's elite Stratocaster. That's elite um, Telecaster. That's um, that, it's the entire elite line. I would argue that the elites shouldn't be too grand either. I think they should. No, be no, I don't. I don't. Yeah, but I'm why, just like, saying at this thing and going. Why is this your flagship for Nam? Like, is this all Seriously. you got? Is this Seriously. all you brought to the table at this point? For, for several years, Fender has done this kind of horse shit where they had the, um, they, what's the, the, uh, the alternate universe series or whatever the, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that, that was a, where you had the Telestratocaster. I, I, I know there's some hardcore people that really like those guitars, but, the, but that was a, like, that did not make them any money. And frankly, those guitars ended up on clearance. They couldn't get, yes. rid of them. they couldn't get rid of it. And them. I can see this happening with this Acoustasonic. Well, so I think the Acoustasonic is obviously one of these things where like Fender, Fender for years, for, for really like the last 10 years, it's got them into trouble with some people has been trying to plug the acoustic line. Right. Yep. And so um, they're probably doing some market research and looking at their line and going, okay, so who's our target market? And it's really, you know, the 20 to 20 to 40 hipster. Yep. Um, who is, uh, you know, either male or female, doesn't matter. Yep. Um, playing like coffee house style gigs. And I, and I know I'm generalizing cause we know that Fender has a much broader market base than that, but yep. right now that's who they're targeting. And so they're like, okay, 
So what would work for these people to get them to buy an acoustic guitar? Right. And they're thinking this is a gateway guitar. So like if you already have a Telecaster, which a lot of those people in that age group do, right? like this is a gateway drug into, hey, maybe Fender's acoustics aren't as bad as we thought they were. And, mm-hmm. and you know, honestly, Jim, you're going you're gonna to poo-poo the shit out of me when I say this, but some of Fender's high-end acoustic guitars, and I mean the high-end ones, are pretty good. It's yeah. the cheap shit that they, that they build millions of that have been dumpsters. They're terrible. Um, but I mean, I've played a couple that I was like, eh, if it didn't say Fender on the headstock, I might buy this. Because let's face it, you, nobody looks at an acoustic guitar with Fender's name on it and goes, oh, that's going to be worth something. Yeah, um, nope. <laughs> and and resale value is the name of the game here. I mean, um, if you get harder for money or you need it to sell it to get something else, and usually mm-hmm. your acoustic guitar isn't your primary guitar anyway, mm-hmm. that's the wrong way to approach it. Now, this is where the fun begins, right? So the teleacoustic, is that what they're calling the thing? What do they call it? No, the acoustic sonic. Acoustic sonic. They call it whatever the hell they want. Here's a, let me let me before shit. you go before you go off on there. This is the thing. So the acoustic sonic is already a line of amplifiers. And yes. those of you who don't know, the it's it's typically a small combo, um, sixty to one hundred and twenty watts. I think is the biggest one um, with either a single or a uh, 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 single tan or 12 or a pair of tens or pair of 12s. Yeah, it's their, it's their acoustic line. That's right. And it's got a microphone input on one side and it's got an acoustic input on the other. And literally the two speakers are voiced so that you can sing through one and you're playing the acoustic guitar through the other. So uh, they're not the awful, is, but those are not high end amplifiers. I mean, the yeah, Fishman they're... blows them away. There's a California something that blows them away. There's something that makes one that just destroys that fucking thing. Yeah. And um, so you come out with a, with the name of the amp line that's already not that good and made in China. Hey, yeah. there's that train. So here's here's I'm gonna I'm gonna go through the the acoustic sonic or whatever the hell they're calling it, right. and uh, and I want to talk about what I like. Okay, I I actually do like the idea of a carved acoustic guitar because that's what this looks like, and I'm not sure if that's exactly how they're constructed, but but that's what it looks like. It was like a solid body guitar where they basically took out pretty much everything on the inside. Yeah. Um, and then I like the idea of having a piezo system on any electric guitar. Things I don't like. Wooden bridge. Okay. They're a pain in the ass to work on. Uh, they're a pain in the ass to ha- have worked on. They're expensive to, to fix and replace. Um, your action adjustments suck. You could have used a telly bridge on this and nobody would. Um, you could probably have engineered it to sound proper too. I mean, you got Fender money. I'm sure you could make that happen. But here's the thing: the guitar doesn't sound good unplugged. Every very clear that that is what I wanted to get to. So I saw that same video you were talking about, and um, Anderton's, and they unplugged it, and it sounded like shit. It it, it didn't sound. I've I've heard unplugged Gretches sound better okay. than this thing does. Right. And, and and that's what I'm what I'm getting to. So it has the IR technology for modeling a, a good acoustic guitar by introducing its spatial characteristics and stuff into the sound, which is okay. I get it. However, what's the point of it then? I mean, honestly, <laughs> if, if if you're buying an acoustic guitar that you have to plug in, why the hell would you? Would, I mean, I, that defeats the purpose, does it not? That's that's what I got to. A couple other I things. Mean, Wound G string. 
I know this is making a comeback. People want them on electrics. I am not that guy. I am not that guy. And I'm looking at this going, what the fuck? Because the person that doesn't play a lot of bends on their G-string, no no jokes here, that they don't mind. And and, um, there's some heavy-handed folks that do play heavier stuff. But personally, I I don't want a wound G-string. I just don't. I don't. I, it, it, that's look, that's a, that's a minor gripe. I can always put an unwound G on there. Right. But I just feel like there's so many design compromise compromises made to make this thing, both an acoustic and an electric instrument, because you and it's not to, good at both. It's not good at either. No, I think it's terrible at both probably. Yeah. And it, okay. So everybody wants an acoustic guitar that plays like an electric guitar. That yep. part I understand. And to look at this situation and see this thing, like that makes sense to me. Um, they're not the first company to attempt this kind of thing. Obviously, Kinsel's got their Zeus acoustic, and there's been other, you know, attempts at this. Um, you could even probably argue that like Godin's, uh, right, multi acts and all that stuff have been kind of a similar attempt. But yeah. I think the one that the one that that stands out to me like to be the bigger value and the better instrument for the money is the damn Yamaha Silent Guitar. Yeah, because at the end of the day, what are you getting? You're getting an acoustic guitar. It doesn't make noise that sounds great plugged in, which is really what this thing is going to be good at. And that was what, okay, so that was one of the points that they were making on Anderton's is that you could unplug it and you're almost silent. Well, then why not just buy a traveler? Yeah, I mean, mean, well, the Yamaha silent guitars, they're not travelers, and they sound really fucking good plugged in. Plugged in. And that's just it, though. So here was two things that I noticed that, that it didn't do well when it came to Anderson's videos. Well, three. I'm going to say I'm going to say this. Number one, the IR technology that they used um, had the guys fiddling a lot with their knobs to make it sound like it was. Oh, this is supposed to be sit katat or whatever. It really wasn't that good. It wasn't that convincing. Yeah. Uh, number number two, um, the electric sound was horrendous. It's a- it's a really bad Telecaster pickup. It was, yeah. It was a, like in fucking body. Picture your worst Squire pickup. That's uh, what it sounded. I don't think it's necessarily the pickup. You know what I actually think it is? I think it's no, the guitar is hollow. Right. I'm just saying, picture your worst Squire pickup, and that's what it sounded like. It yeah, just yeah, had, yeah, yeah, had yeah, no yeah. life. It had yes. no body. It had nothing. And then lastly, and you already pointed this out, and I, and I agreed, its acoustic sound was horrendous. So... If you add those three up, you really only have um, the IR thing. And the, and like you said, it plugged in. It sounded pretty good. And that and was it. You know what I think Fender should have done? And and you guys can comment on this in the group, but I'm, but I'm going to put this out there. I think they should have done a thin line telly with a piezo bridge. Yep. A really, really good, solid piezo output. So like a split output. Or you can do, or you can do the TRS thing. Like, uh, yep. Ernie Ball's done in the past. Well, they could do like, um, doesn't Rick and Backer have a choice thing? Like they went from where you could uh, you, you could, could plug in the two, or, but if you went TRS or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And then and then here's the here's the big thing. Has to have a neck pickup. Yes. And that yeah. was the other thing. What the fuck is the point of I a telecaster? Have the neck pickup than the, than the bridge pickup. Uh, if you if you if you told me I had to play a Telecaster and I had to pick between a neck and a bridge, I'm the guy that neck. picks the neck. Neck every time. 
Even this squire that I've got hanging on the wall. I love bridge pickup, pickups on tellies, but I think the neck pickup is a lot yeah, but more if I had, versatile. Right. If I had to choose one of them, one had to go, it would yeah. be the neck pickup that stayed, not the bridge pickup. Yeah. That, there is something to be said about the spank of a telly bridge all day long, but the neck pickup is more versatile, like you said. So and, and if you're already playing the coffee houses, you're already doing all this other stuff, you're not playing bridge pickup type music. If they Just, did... So basically what I'm saying is, and this is this is what people are gonna laugh about. This is what I want to come to the group. This has already been done before. Right. Go go Dan has done this like yeah. a lot. They've been doing it since the 90s. Cars. Yeah. <laughs> Look at the multi-acts. They're all like yep. this. They're they're piezos that are not meant to sound good unplugged. They actually do sound pretty decent unplugged. Yep. Um and they some of them are some of them are nylon, some of them are steel string. They've done them with with a neck pickup. Um, yep. I think that the, the, that's the jazz model. Um, I, I played the jazz metal model and to be honest with you, if I was a jazz player, like that's a guitar I'd play. Like, I, I'll tell you I, right I was, now, I had a, I had a Godan XT something. Yeah. I had an SDXT myself. Yeah. And it had a, a Paizo pickup and I had yeah, like an 500. Yeah. And that's it. XTSA. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you right now, uh, it's one of those guitars. You're like, why did I get rid of that? And, um, yeah, I know. And it's a, it's a great guitar. Um, it's got a, for those who don't know, it's got a Les Paul style body, if I remember it correctly. Um, but yeah, the, the, um, and the Godin, uh, what is it? A series or something? Um, a something. A anyway, they, they also, um, are decent, um, uh, acoustic guitars. And then of course, like you, you said, you get the multi act which is multi-acoustic. Yeah. Um, and so Godan's been sitting there. I does Godan go to Nam? I'm pretty sure they have a presence there because they have multiple brands. So yeah. Godan also owns Siegel. And yep. I believe there's a couple other ones too. Um, I'm sure they have a presence there. Uh, they just announced the Summit Classic SG, which is a really, really good looking flat top Les Paul. Um, right. Godan, and then, then that's the thing. Godan, may, all the guitars they make look really, really cool. Um, oh, yeah. And they honestly, like, they changed, they had their own body style, and then they kind of started making, like, kind of uh, variations on the theme of the, t the T and S style guitar. But their bodies really do look good. And, like, yeah, honestly, do. I'm looking at this Summit Classic right here while we're doing this episode, and I'm like, eh. yeah. Hard to keep me away from one because they did it in the right color. I'm telling you, they they have some beautiful guitars. Um, if you haven't checked out Godan, uh, they're built. Are they still built in uh, Canada? Uh, yeah, when I got live, yeah, they're all built in Canada still. And that's the other thing; they're not built in the third world either. Right. I mean, they're, well, it is Canada. <laughs> well, okay. Canada, Canada. You know, you know, United States. The sequel. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, they participate in sporting events. They're basically part of you know the United States. Yeah. Um, I don't yeah, know. they're all joking aside. They're awesome um, guitars uh, made by an excellent company. That's uh, you know that has not lost sight of what they've been trying to do for years. And they've been doing it. You know, they're not one of those companies. I'm like, you know, what? let's put let's put our stuff overseas. Let's do. Apparently, they're doing amps now too. By the way, yeah, yeah. So. Oh yeah. Um, um, I'm looking at an LG XT. Wow, yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. Um, um, so. I'm 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 waxing philosophical here about about the idea of the the acoustic sonic. Um, ultimately, yep. don't buy one. Send Fender a message, please. 
Yeah. I they look cool. If you're going to buy one, buy one used for the love of God. Well, you, it's hard to get, used. it's hard to get a used one if we tell everybody not to buy them. Yeah. But don't buy one new. Don't, don't yeah. please don't give them your money on this thing. At least send Fender a message and be like, all right, look, you need to get back to doing what you do. Right. The same thing yeah. we had to do with Gibson, which is basically to stop buying the damn things to get the yeah. go out. And then, and you know, they come I, around. I know that's not really what happened. I mean, uh, Gibson overcapitalized in other companies and there's a, there's a whole thing, but, um, yep. so, uh, other things that I saw at NAM that I liked, um, I'm going to, I'll, I'll pipe in. So the thing that I, I liked, obviously the P the Paul Reed Smith, uh, SE version of Paul's guitar. So they had some playing of it and some demonstration of it. I liked it. I, I can see myself getting one when my two years of gear, no gear is over. Maybe even before that, um, but uh, um, I thought it was beautiful. And if if it truly plays the way that that it played for the people that played it at Nam, uh, for me, I could see me getting into one of those. Um, some other stuff I I saw I liked. Um, obviously, Paul's new uh, uh, SE line of the um, the Les Paul style, the single cut style uh, of the uh, gold top that he built for. Um, Santana. That's an excellent guitar. Um, he's using those, uh, um, what do they call them? Uh, something voiced, uh, pickups, uh, that, that, um, something inductive pickups. I can't remember. Anyway. Yeah. I remember reading about them. So they're the same pickups that are in the Paul's guitar SE. Um, and the guy, uh, that was, uh, demonstrating from, uh, PRS. And this was, this was amazing because this was the Paul Reed Smith guy. He said, here, I'm going to play this for you. And it was for a premier guitar. Anybody that wants to check out the video. Um, <clears throat> so he played the PRS version of Paul's guitar. Then he played Paul's guitar and he, he even said this is a fourth of the price. And, you know, you're just paying for, um, a, prettier guitar i mean he this was paul reed smith's rep saying yeah you're just paying for a prettier guitar you're playing for the artwork you know the 10 top and everything else so he <laughs> this was uh you know pretty cool of them to come out and like i've said a million times their se line is incredible um the other thing that i i'm not exactly sure if i'm excited about it but i do i am interested in it and we had one of our um uh group post about the um the sure uh lunchbox amp that's coming with the new pete thorne and um i'm only in i'm not i'm not gonna run out and get it but i am interested in it because the the fact that they're putting this is this is um cool that they're putting their their uh pretty much just you know stuff together let's take a pete thorne amp turn it into a 15 watt lunchbox and then you know what? Let's shove our um, uh, our uh, IR and uh, reactive load up its ass. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I have my so I saw it and I and I said this is a great idea because I, look, yep. a lot of amps are coming out now with with um, direct out, cable, right? Right. Um, I think any step towards getting to a more accurate sounding direct out is a good one. However, yep. um, I I. We we've discussed this in private, and we have kind of a, a little thing going about how much yeah. this is actually going to cost. We have a little bit of yeah. wager going on. We have a wager going, um, and we'll leave that outside the show for the. Anybody want to get in on it? Let us know. <laughs> yeah, um, and and what what's killing me about this thing is that uh, 
look, the, the load box itself is 600 bucks, right? The IR load box. And yep. then, of course, his amp is 3000. That's the big 100 watt thing. Yeah. Um, I suspect this thing has to come in. I mean, it has to be inexpensive to be really, because otherwise, you could buy whatever amp you want and get the IR load box and be totally happy. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I mean, I know a lot of people are into load boxes. I want an attenuator that can also function as a load box with IRs. If I can't get that, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I think that's what the, uh, the, the, and now you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's what the, the, um, boss thing is supposed to be going towards. The boss thing is a little bit different. Okay. So yes, it is a reactive load box with an amplifier attached to it. Yep. Which means that you can run into it either with or without a speaker model. And then you can, you can amplify the output into a cabinet or a PA or however you, you want to go because it has, a, it has a bunch of flexible options. That's, just, that's essentially what. Right. Um, and I think that's a huge leap forward. I think the problem is though, that for those of us who use tube amps, we got to get those power tubes cooking. Yeah. So you're going to have to run them really hard in there to the reactive side of it and then amplify. Yep. And I guess if the amplifier is neutral enough, it should yeah. work great. That's yeah. why people are drooling over this thing because this solves so many problems for so many people. You want to yeah. use your 100-watt Marshall head in a live setting and in a, in a bar gig? Go for it. Plug it into that thing, plug that thing into a 1x12 cab, and rip. That's right. Um, granted, Turn that thing, dime it. This brings me to my next product that I really, really like. Marshall has unveiled oh yes series that this that is something actually, they should have done 10 years ago yes <laughs> i'm sorry but 20 watt plexi what uh 20 watt jcm 800 that was the one we were talking about jim that was available on sweetwater the day we were talking about it because you right. were like you were like yeah they're gonna be like two thousand dollars like no no way dude nope. 100 bucks 1500 i was I amazed was, yeah I was shocked because because they couldn't I was, do because they're that. made in england the yep. first thing I thought was, yep, that price tag is going to be huge. They're, they brought it back to building There's another movement. tiny English made amp from them that I'm not going to talk about because, um, frankly, I want another one. So, <laughs> and I want them while you can still get them. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, just the fact that you can get a little 20 watt JCM 800 now. Oh my God. Freaking genius. And that is- this is what, so. Friedman has made a reputation out of making these, these ostentatious Marshall upgrades that you can buy in the, under the Friedman label. Um, I say Marshall upgrades because that's basically what they are. He's taken a Marshall circuit and he's twisted it and he's done some things to it. And he's, he's obviously good at it. People were coming to him to get their Marshall spotted for years. But um, why would you do that when you could buy a Marshall for cheaper that has all the same upgrades? Exactly. That's what the new DSL series is. And so when they they unveiled that in the origin at the same time, they revoiced the DSLs, which now sound freaking killer. And then yeah. they and because I wasn't a huge fan of them before, I, I owned one and I was it was okay, but it wasn't you know. I know I now. One. I plugged in the one the other day and I was like, "Damn, dude! Like this is a hard sell because this is right? like six hundred bucks for a combo." I'm like, "This is ridiculous." Yeah. Um, yeah. But then they but now they're coming out with the studio series, and I think this is going to be out of the park for them. If you're in the if you're in the lineup for like a Mesa Boogie Mark Five, twenty five or the thirty five, I mean you can now just like turn your head and go look at Marshall again too. 
So right. this is a big deal. Um, and then they have those three amplifiers available. So they have what the 800. Yeah. Uh, uh, Plexi. And then there was something else. Um, I want to say it was, uh, no, it's the um, Silver Jubilee. Yes. That's it. Which that's they it. were already basically doing. And honestly, um, that's the one that's got my attention. Uh, the Jubilee is okay. Uh, to be honest with you, Jim, I'm not, I mean, I, and I know some people, Pat, Pat from good time, his uh, live rig was ba- built around two Jubilees and an original Jubilee. So he bought them when they were, when you couldn't give those things away. Um, right. And I'm not a fan of that sound. Like to me, Marshall's or JCM 800 and earlier. I don't really like a whole lot of what they've done since the JCM 800. I do like the 900s. Um, and it's, I think it's for certain sounds. I like the 900s. I don't right. think like if I'm playing a classic rock gig, I'm not going to bring out the JCM 900. If I'm playing a metal gig, like JCM 900 with a, with a tube screamer out front. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, the, the Jubilee is, um, it's got a lot of, a lot of top end presence. It's a little, yep. brittle, a little brittle sounding. You have to have the right cab. And that's, yeah. that's a big part of it. So uh, these are great. Um, I think they're going to sell a lot of these and I think it's going to be a big boon for the company because Marshall in, in the last couple of years have been getting beat up. I mean, there's a lot of Marshall clones out there that are pretty good for not a lot of money. And uh, I went to go look, I was going to buy a Plexi. That was my, that was my goal at gear fest this year was to buy a Marshall Plexi. And um, I went and I looked and I was like, man, they don't make anything Plexi oriented for under three grand. Like the KT or not the KT 66 loaded. um, The, uh, the GTM 45 is like 2,700. I'm like, it just, it doesn't make sense. I don't care if it's made in England. I, you know, it, it's not the same amp because they have had to make some changes due to Rojas and all that stuff. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, and export standards and everything. But um, along that line, so we've been talking about Marshall's. The other thing I saw was that uh, apparently Jimmy page has got an amp coming out and I, and I yeah. have to talk about this because this is almost as big a clusterfuck disaster as the, um, <laughs> as the telecaster. <laughs> yeah. So Jimmy page played a lot of super combos on a lot of the records like good times, bad times is his telecaster through Supro, and yeah, uh, the solo on uh, uh, stairway to heaven is, I believe a telecaster through the Supro amp. Um, and he mic'd him up in a funny way and he used, um, he had the speaker back replaced. And then my understanding is his amp circuit itself had been modified slightly. Um, yeah. a couple of years ago, the guys that, that run Supro guitars, which is actually Pigtronics, is the same company, yep. um, got their hands on the famous modified um, Supro that was in the hands of the Experience Music Project. I think that's the story. Um, they got their hands on it and they cloned it. They took copious notes on the circuit board, on the circuit itself, on the, the speaker. They did some some actual measurements of the speaker and stuff, and they decided they were going to make a production speaker and a production amp that yep. matched those specs as closely as they could, within reason to, to provide an adequate, you know, an, an, a value for the people who are going to buy them. So right. that that gave the Supro Black Magic. I have played the Supro Black Magic. It right. is Black Magic. It is literally the same sound that you're going to hear on Good Times, Bad Times. Um, it is not an amp that you should buy if you live in a condo. You're going to have to turn it up. It's a master volume amp, and that's just all there is to it. Right. Um, so Jimmy Page comes out. He's got the new Telecaster coming out from Fender, the custom shop. When I think they're showing that guitar off again. Um, it's, I don't think they've even come out yet. Um, 
And uh, I assumed when I saw the ad for the amp, this would be a custom shop amp to go with the guitar. Yep. Buy the guitar and the amp, you know, and, you know, for $20,000, you could have the Jimmy Page rig as accurately as you make it. Here's where the plot thickens, right? So he's partnered with some small builder, and they're only going to make 50 of these things. Oh. So Jimmy Page has now come out and said, no, the Supro version is not accurate because he's not being paid for it, right? Right. So this is the real deal right here. This is the one I used, and they're going to build it, and they're going to make 50 of them. So how much of that do you think he's pocketing? Yeah, exactly. Now, Page, I, I, I've read several biographies from various people that were involved with Led Zeppelin, and everyone said, Page is a cheapskate. So <laughs> if he could make $100,000 selling 50 amplifiers, he'll do it. Right. And I think that's what's going on here is like, they're going to be $10,000 and he's going to take 5,000 of it. And they get to, you know, t- pocket the rest. And the amp really only costs like 300 bucks to make. Cause I mean, literally this, it, it was it, like any other super secret. I'm sure it's dead simple inside. No. Um, so for, for me, I'm just looking at this and go, what a fucking cash grab. Like this guy is, I mean, I like Jimmy page. I love his style of music, but wow, dude, really? Like yeah. just like super do it and get it over with. Like just, just back out of it. Don't worry about it. Or how about you do something really cool and you take some of your modified marshals, maybe your orange, and then you go and you get those cloned yeah. and then have like Marshall do it and make some real money. Exactly. Because those are the amps that. And that would sell. Right. Yeah. But he, you know, it's not, it's not Jimmy's amps. Like I'm going to be honest with you. Jimmy Page's sound comes from the player himself. I saw him, you know, he did the page and plant DVD best tone I've ever heard him have. And he's playing like, um, through pro reverbs, Fender pro reverbs and an AC 30. And yeah. I just, I just sat there and shook my head. They go, how the fuck does that sound come out of a pro reverb and an AC 30? <laughs> again, like you said, it's, it's the person in his case. It really is the person. I mean, uh, I think that guy could make a tin can sound pretty good if you give him the right microphone. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and that's that was the beauty of what he did. I mean, it wasn't just his thing. But today is about Nam. So, um, again, yeah, I had forgotten about those. Uh, it was somebody that was saying, "Is the lunchbox amp phase over?" I don't think, I don't think so. so. I don't. I, I think we're only the. I think we're just starting to ride that wave towards a crest. I because, no, honestly, I don't think that's that's ever going to go away because I think no guitar diminishes as. Uh, the main instrument on stage and the stages get quieter with better sound production. The natural inclination is to get away from these super high powered amps. That's right. You're going away from floor monitors. You're going into in-ears. You're going away from, um, uh, you know, all the noise. Um, And again, the, uh, the 20 watt amp, uh, 15 to 20 watt amp, um, I think is alive and well and will be for a long, long time. So Joyo, Uh, is Moore. Yeah. It's the same company. Yes, Moore, Moore and Joyo, yeah. Moore slash Joyo brought out a line of amps, I think, last year. Yep. Um, and they were all like solid state, small, tiny combo type deals. Um, Hotone as well. So, well, they're not – I'm going to say this about them. They are uh, – because I got to play through a couple. The Bantam. Uh, yeah, the Bantam. And, yeah. Yep. And uh, – so I played through their, their quote unquote Marshall and I played through their quote unquote um, uh, Fender. 
that was supposed to be like a um, Deville type thing. Or yeah, Boosie. I heard a lot of people don't like them. Uh, well, I'm going to say this. So I, I plugged into both, um, and for what they are, because it, it's it's $150. Yeah, it's a practice amp. That's it's what a, it is. Yeah, it's a practice amp, but it's also something you could throw in a gig bag. And if your amp goes down that night, you can plug that in. It has effects send and return. It has everything on it. Yeah, yeah. Boom, you're up and running for 150 bucks. No, would I would I play through it every single night on a gig? Hell no. But would I love to depend on one for you know uh, when those things happen? Heck yeah! And for that kind of money, that's that's the cost of you know um, a couple of tube replacements. I'm really interested in Moor. The reason I'm talking about Moor, they brought out the GE 300. Yep. Okay. Which is obviously their stab at the GT series from Boss. Yes. So I'm really interested in this thing. I'd love to get my hands on one um, and check one out. Uh, 108 amp models, uh, 160 some odd effect. I think it was like 30 plus cab sim. Um, I believe it. I believe it also had um, IR modeling, so you can load your own IRs. Yep. Um, this thing it was super cheap. Now, speaking of super cheap, which I, obviously they do very well, um, let's go to the other end of that spectrum. Spectrum. So we talked about um, the fact that Sure didn't give us any um, indication of how much something's going to cost. We talked about Boss didn't give us any indication of how much something was going to cost. Um, Gibson didn't have a whole lot of pricing information. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about somebody the new. Um, uh, Ibanez Tube Screamer. It's like four hundred dollars, three hundred something dollars. Are you kidding me? Ibanez does one thing really, really well. Uh, they do two things. Overcharge for things. No, they make they make a killer amp. That that TSA thing for the price it is is oh really, yeah really really good. You're talking about that little, it's like white or green or something. Yeah. 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 The TSA, it, look, it, look, yep. it looks like a little TV cabinet. from the 50s. Yeah. Yeah. That thing smokes. It's, sounds good. Yeah. And um, it's cheap. Yeah. And, that, and and that's really good. And they make great guitars. Now they obviously make tube screamers, but there's like so many damn tube screamers on the market now anymore. I don't know how they're making money doing it, frankly. Um, I, I can go get a, go get a boss SD one or whatever the super overdrive. The super overdrive is only like 70 bucks. Tube screamers like 70 bucks. Four hundred and forty-nine dollars. We're getting this is where we're going with it. All right. <laughs> so then they start making these high-end ones, like the PSA to a, a hand wired, yeah. like 250. And then they did the, the new tube one. And now yeah. they got this guy. And it's like it doesn't yeah. make any sense. The the they overdrive ago. TSV 808 Vemurian Vemuran. I don't know. It, it ends with an M. So those who think I'm saying on, it's wrong. It's Vemuram. I, I don't know. So, Limited edition overdrive pedal with tone drive and level knobs. Wow, I've never seen a tube screamer with tube screamer with those on it. Trim pots and selectical asymmetrical and symmetrical clipping. All right. I'm not a big fan of tube screamer. I have found one use for the tube screamer. Literally one use. Um, 
Yeah, to you either put a tube, scre- tube screamer in front of a heavy gain amp, cut your bass, boost yep. your mids. Boost your mids. Actually, roll off your treble, too. Yep. And um, it works extremely good for that. For anything else, throw it in the garbage. I honestly cannot stand them for anything else. I'm one of those guys. Yeah. Uh, I think this guy, the boss angry driver, which I'm holding in my hand right now, mm-hmm. is a much better value than any of the high-end tube screamers that are available. And what is, what does the angry driver go for? $200 flat. Yeah. Uh, you get, you get a blues driver, which is a lot mm-hmm. more flat sounding overdrive, which gives you, in my opinion, a lot more versatility with it. Yep. Um, because it'll work well in front of a fender or it'll work well in front of a mic. Um, yep. and then it also has the the uh JHS Angry Driver circuit or the um Angry Charlie circuit in it. And, and that alone makes it worth the price of it. Um but to 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 back up, I mean I don't think Tube Screamer so Tube Screamers had a big thing because of Steve Ray Vaughan, right? He used two of them in his rig, um, a number of different configurations. Had he used every single variation of tube screamer that existed when yep. he when he was alive, and the funny part about it is that it has got this mythological status with certain guitar players, like the guys that would buy the the, the uh, number one when they better did that thing yeah. would buy four hundred and fifty dollar tube. That that's what that is, and yeah. my but when I when I said it, I, I meant what I said, which is they missed the boat. Two, I, of all the guitar players that I grew up listening to, thinking, wow, that guy is like really the, the sharpest guitar player I've ever heard. I go back and like listen to Stevie Ray. Look, he's an excellent player. I'm not going to throw him under the bus, but I'm just saying, like, the thing that made everybody so in love with him has kind of moved on. Like, I don't really hear a lot of people talking about him. Um, I'm not saying he's any better or worse than he was. I'm just right. saying that, that, like, those people have found other guitar players to latch on to. Well, you know, John Mayer, um, people gonna, hate him. I'm just going to say it. In a lot of communities, John Mayer has become kind of the today for, for younger folks, the today's Stevie Ray Vaughan. And yeah, yeah. Uh, even for folks. I think a lot of the Stevie Ray Vaughan players are looking yeah. at John Mayer right now and going, that's, yeah. that's the torchbearer. I mean, that guy, um, <laughs> you know, you can, you can poo-poo him all you want. Uh, just remember, he's the one that the Grateful Dead chose to tour with. He's the one that, um, you know, carried the torch with double trouble. He's the one that's uh, been doing this stuff. And you can make fun of the faces he makes. You can do anything you want. He's no longer touring at double trouble. And no, no, no. He no, he was, for, though. And he was chosen for Grateful Dead because he would bring his own fans to the show. That's what I'm that sure. Was. I'm sure. I'm just saying that, yeah. I'm not, I, I, I just don't give him, I'm not giving him any credibility because, and, and, and this is why, Jim, I, I, I can't give him credibility because he do, he's not getting these things because he's musically doing anything I want to hear or that anybody else I know who really understands like quality music is they're not looking at him and go, wow, that's wonderful. Your body is a wonderland. What a track, man. I don't think Once anybody thinks. One for the ages. I don't think anybody thinks your body is a wonderland, is it? But you listen to some of this blues stuff. And I and even that, I'm dude. Not, I'm not a blues aficionado or fan for that matter. So I'm not a I'm not a John Mayer fan. Don't don't I want you I want you to take this with and and take this the way don't take it personally. John Mayer is in your wheelhouse. He's a pop guitar player. 
Like that's your thing. And, and I could totally see you being like, okay, yeah, I get it. He's not look, your, your typical blues guy that's actually really immersed in the blues and knows what the blues is. is not looking at John Mayer and going, wow, he's the next Albert King. It's just not happening. The, the, no, but the, but the kids that are growing up are, and, and again, I will, I will just like the Greta Van Fleet and the, you know, the things that people say about him. Um, at least he's carrying a torch and yeah. whether we, I, whether no, no, I, I, I get it. I mean, like I right. agree with you there. I just don't think, uh, <laughs> I don't think we, I was disagreeing with your statement that, that him being in the grateful dead had something to do with his. Uh, no, I don't. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think a guy like Bob Weir uh, gives a rat's ass um, or gave a rat's oh, ass. Oh, I, no, actually I do. And I, and I, and I'll say why, because they were going, they, they were all basically bankrupt. And I'll say, we're going to do this final reunion tour. We're going to hire him to go out on the road with us so we can make money. And then, and then, oh, we made money. Wait a minute. Now I remember what that's like. Hey, <laughs> let's, let's do, you know, uh, the Grateful Dead band or whatever they're calling it now. And yeah. I'm, I'm just saying like, it was a very, if, if they don't really care about making money, I would be really surprised that they picked John Mayer because there were a lot of other guitar players that would lined up that would have been just as good, if not better, to do that job. So I think they did it to put butts in seats. I, I think that's part of it. That has to be a, a decision part of it. Um, if you're gonna if you're gonna go out on the road, why would you not want to put butts in seats? Right? Yeah. I mean, that's we all want to do that. Um, the the other side of it is that he had to have a certain level of talent. Yeah. But I mean, like I just said, Jim, there's a lot of guys that can play the stuff that Garcia was playing. That's why I'm like, and eh, oh, I see. Yeah. I see it all the time. I, I literally can't stand the grateful. I mean, that is music that if you put it on, I'm leaving. Like I, Warren I, I Hayes would have been perfect for that band, for example. Oh yeah. But Warren Hayes, I don't know if he, is he really doing anything anymore? I mean, government mule. Well, Still outside of record. that's what I mean. Outside of government mule, because he was doing Almond Brothers. For well, a long he's time. not doing Almond Brothers because they disbanded that band. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's he what was I'm saying. The end. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, he was right up to the end. But has he been working with uh, anybody else outside no, of government? They, mule? Well, he's actually when he went back to government mule, he basically said, nah, "I'm not gonna," because he made his money, dude. Yeah, like that's basically it. He's not. He's not ostentatious like a lot of these guys where they have to have their Ferraris. I don't really, I don't need to make a lot of money out of it, but he would not have been the draw for them. And that's why he was probably not even on their radar. Um, and actually I was kind of surprised. I'll be honest with you. I was, I was just shocked with everybody else. They're like, Oh, John Mayer's going to tour with Grateful Dead. Cause I'm like, that doesn't sound like that great a match, but I did know that John Mayer was a Berkeley grad. So clearly he has the chops for it. Right. And, and, um, I'm not saying that that Mayer's a bad player. Like, no, I mean, he graduated Berkeley. I actually think my frustration with him is that musically, he hasn't done anything. Like, it, it, with with all the talent and ability that's there, he's done nothing. So. Well, yeah. then there's that. You know, I mean, he is, you know, he has a bit I mean, of How many other Berkeley grads that we talk about I mean, let's 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 stop, and I can I can name a couple. Steve Weiser, Berkeley grad. Um, John Petrucci dropped out of Berkeley 
uh, yep. you know, that whole band, all of Dream Theater was was at Berkeley. Uh, the original guys that were anyway. Um, yep. And uh, I mean, dozens of others. Well, Scott Henderson. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Wasn't he there or uh, music and guitar yeah, institute? I mean, one of those two. I'm sure there's um, a place where you can see Berkeley alumni. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, but most of the guys that went to Berkeley, like I played with a guy that was a Berkeley grad. <laughs> yeah, I will bet you he was. Uh, he was. Uh, he one, was one. Of, yeah, he's the one that surprised you. Yeah, he, he had the clon. He was the one that had the uh, the clon and everything else. He had, he still has. Um, uh, there's still companies that give him stuff. Yeah. Right? They, uh, well, hey, do you want this? We want you to try out our pedal. The reason why he's the, a he's a freaking um, uh, Oracle developer now, and he's still stuff. That's what that's how out of touch some of these salespeople are. By the way, people. Yeah, but my my point is like people who go to Berkeley, they're serious about making art most of the time. Yep, and it just feels like Mayer thinks he's making art, but I don't think he really knows what that means. Um, and so I think. I, yeah, he's made some good records. I mean, like I can't, I can't deny things like who do you think you were and stuff like yep. that, or who do you think I was? Or, yeah, it's a good song, but I just feel like uh, I feel like I'd do the same way with Clapton. Clapton did a couple of really good records, but by the time Cream ended, he was done. Like he was just going to rehash the blues for the rest of his career, and that's what he did. And yeah. there's a couple of other like little things he did in there, but yeah, you remember the um. The album, what was it, Riding with the King or something when he was... Uh, yeah, with Albert King or whatever. I, I think it was BB, but yeah, it yeah, was BB. like... Right, right, right. It was like... Huh. Yeah, and you know what? That's the one I hear people covering the most. They went like, he the highway off that and shit. I'm like, oh, God. I just roll my eyes. I'm like, for me, why? And you got all that stuff from Cream and like even um, uh, the album that had Layla and stuff on it. And I just go, why would you want to play that? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Oh, I know. Right. And the, so, the acoustic version of Layla. Oh, please, please kill me now. When um, I hear that on the radio, I'm like, why would you ever play that version when the other, when the original version is clearly much, much better. Like, like this much better. Yeah. Acoustic song, you know, um, uh, I so, did not enjoy that. But anyway, so, yeah, so that um, obviously for me, um, Paul Reed Smith was a was a huge uh, uh, thing for me. But it was only a couple of things. I mean, they pretty much said, "Here's some new colors." The the John Mayer Silver Sky. Here's some colors. Um, that's the thing I don't get. So we're gonna go to Nam and we're gonna show you the same fucking shit in a new color. And it's like, really? That's that. So that's what you've got for me. I'm not saying that that's all Paul Reed Smith did, but. That was what Gilbert Gibson was doing for years. It was the same old shit with new colors in it. And, um, you know, a lot of companies do that. I mean, yeah, colors do sell stuff. I mean, obviously, everybody has this, you know, like, love for certain shades of certain colors. Reds, blues, you know, greens, they tend to sell. Greens don't sell as well as the other ones. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's an interesting uh, topic all on its own, but. It just seems to me that, that uh, you know, I, I still think a lot of companies are, are out of touch. I mean, if you're Ibanez, right, and you're going to walk in, you're going to go, you know what, we're doing this. You know, we we talked about how we both believe and agree that the uh, that uh, Strauss's guitar, the Jiva, is overpriced. And 
Um, the announcements were, oh, it's going to be this much, and it wound up being that much, which was a lot more money. Um, we we um, we see this tube screamer come out, and it's like, you mean it, it, this is your this is your flagship pedal, a it's pedal that costs as much product right now as a guitar, right? I mean, it, it, you've got to be shitting me. You are out of touch. Um, Wampler Wampler came out with something. So Wampler came out with. Um, uh, he has a multi a multi pedal. I haven't even seen that covered anymore. Yeah, and that's and that's exactly what I was going to say. So for Brian Wampler to come out with something that is a digital pedal that you program, apparently, I, and I can't find anything outside of some comments from some YouTubers about what kind of things did you find exciting? You know, oh, yeah, Wampler's got this this pedal where, you know. Um, it's it's a multi type effect, and I'm like, uh, so, well, so, um, this is apparently the year of the cheap multi effect processor, anyway, because here's Hotone also has the Ampero, which is obviously based on the mirror, um, yep. and it's like a smaller version thing, and they all yep. have like colors and on, um. I haven't seen the price revealed on the Jimmy Page Telecaster. Obviously, yeah, they still haven't revealed anything on that. You know, you know what, you know what I didn't like, and the pictures didn't turn me on. I'll just say that maybe I, it was I'm better gonna, in person. I'm gonna catch hell for this, but I'm gonna say it anyway. You know what I didn't like? The fucking stupid striped shark from uh, EVH, Fender, and and Eddie Van Halen's partnership. Like that's the one thing that I looked at. I was like, really? Like this is this is what you give us? Um, I I think that the EVH could use like that the Wolfgang could use a little bit of an update. It's been a couple of years. Um, they're doing some exotic models, I guess. Um, seeing a guitar with the, with the strings attached and shit like the old, um Charvel thing play that Star looks. I I mean I it's fine. I it is an iconic guitar, I guess. It's not the guitar I think of when I think of Van Halen. They've been producing that one for a number of years now. Um, that's the, uh, the strat with the, the, uh, tape paint job. Um, but, um, I don't know. I just think like we didn't need that. That was something that they decided to build. Didn't. Yeah. Maybe there is a market for it. Maybe there's still a bunch of, you know, guys buying the Eddie Van Halen stuff. I, I just think like that time kind of passed too. Um, a lot of those guys were in their fifties when I was, uh, starting to play guitar. So. Yeah, I'm sure they're still buying. I just don't know how much they're performing with that stuff. Um, you know the one thing I hated, Jim, that I saw that came out. This is something that they could have absolutely just fucking not done. This was uh MXR. Yeah, they did that fucking stupid Green Day Billy Joel Armstrong. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah, they had a Billy Joel. Well, because that's the guitar tone that everyone wants. Yeah, is Billy oh Joe Armstrong? God, you know I I hate to say it. He is the as much as I hate to admit because listening to younger people talk about him, and I say younger, younger even than you, I'm like, why? Actually, you, you, you know, some people in your your age range. Well, they, I was going to say this, Jim. I grew up. I had Green Day records. I'm not going to lie. I had. Um, I've never owned one. The one uh, Insomnia. Dookie. I had Dookie. Not my favorite record from them. A lot of people think it's their, like their crowning achievement. 
Um, yep. I actually had their first two records. Those are the ones that really, really did it for me. Um, yep. And that was like, I was a young kid and I thought, you know, that was real punk music at the time. I was like 10 years old, so nine, 10 years old. Um, and I wore out the first record, the CD. And um, I, that then I realized like later on, their music is just weighing all hooky. And I was like, I, I can't do this. Um, I actually like Blink Windy too more than I like Green Day, which a lot of people would be like, "Oh my God, what's wrong with?" Them? Yeah, <laughs> um, but at least well, they're actually musically pretty interesting if you really listen to their stuff. But I, I don't know about all that either. But I'm, I'm talking just, about on the level of punk pop punk. Sure, I'm not talking about the fact. Sure, I mean, I think at least they had kind of the comedy element to them, whereas Green Day made that American Idiot record, which was like all serious and really just did not match the tone of what they were trying to achieve. I think that's honestly, I'll probably catch hell from this from some of the people I know, but that record is absolute shit. I do not know why it ended up on every critic's 10 best list. I just don't know. Which one's that? The the, uh, Uh, American Idiot. Oh, yeah. American Idiot. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, the last record I bought from them was Nimrod, and, um, I didn't like it. There's a couple songs on there. That was the one with, uh, the, the acoustic ballad on it. And, uh, I picked up on that before it became a radio single. And then when it, when it became a radio signal, I was just like, this is terrible. And by that time I was probably, I was probably going, no, it was before I was in high school. Um, but yeah, no, and it seems like well, the weird part is because, so at that point, Billy Joe is already like, he's like 50 years old or 40 years old at this point, you know, like mid forties. And then all of a sudden, like all these young kids latched onto the American idiot record. I'm just looking there. I'm going, you guys do know how old that dude is. Right. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like, you know, the ten year old kid that's into uh into uh the Rolling Stones and you just kinda like shake your head yep. and you're like, dude, those guys are sixty years older than you. Like Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, well yeah you don't know so, shit about what they sing about, you know, like <laughs> So the dookie the dookie <laughs> metal, <laughs> You're gonna step on some dookie? I mean, come on, really? Yeah, I know, it's, it's, it's a joke. It's hundred and ninety bucks. I mean it, Really? I just it's yeah. that expensive. And that, that's what I'm saying. So here's Here's MXR, and they're and they're putting out this this pedal that just it, it's got a blend knob, a gain knob, a tone knob. What have? Here's a good question for for people listening: Have we seen enough frigging gain pedals? Seriously, have we not seen enough overdrive pedals? Can you not, from the overdrive pedals that already exist, get the tone that you want? I mean, do we really need yet another overdrive no. pedal? And in this case, I, I this can't. Is, but but we'll go there here in a second. It, it, the Dookie, what is the Dookie going to do for you, other than make your feet stink? The two modded amplifiers in a single pedal. So it's uh, the meal. The real magic lies in the blend knob. So there you go, people. It's a magical blend knob, which means that it's got unicorn shit. In it, <laughs> well, um, it has to look it, at the art on it that allows you to blend a clean and dirty single together. Um, we've seen that already with Wampler, by the way, because that's something that I was showing up <laughs> with the Paisley Deluxe, but anyway, um, and I'm sure the Paisley did it in some way, but I do know the Paisley Deluxe because I have it, but anyway, um, allows you to drive a, a killer overdrive sound that gives you a scoop function because god knows there's no pedal out there that allows you to scoop your mids except this one why would you need and, it 
the guitarist here at Sweetwater have yearned for a pedal like this. This is what funny. The guitarists here at Sweetwater have yearned for a pedal like this for a long time. That sounds like Billy, some marketing bullshit. Billy Joe's tone is hard to nail. Are you fucking kidding me? A cheap freaking um, P90 it's a, it's like uh, G, Les Paul. Into a JCM 900 or into, something into like that. J- yeah, I mean, it's... It's not that hard. That's like saying, I've never been able to nail Angus Young sound. Well, have you not plugged your guitar directly into the fucking amp? <laughs> That's Try that. Try, <laughs> Try stop SG using, into, a, into a Marshall. You put know? an SG into a Marshall. Walk as far away from it as you can and turn it all the way up. Yeah. Because that's what's good. That's what you're doing. He dimes those amps. And so anyway, and now it's here. It, rep- it, re- it replicates Billy Joe. Here's, here's what really bothers me about stuff like this. We, we all know Billy Joel was like, oh, yeah, I need some money. Go ahead and put my name on it. Replicates Billy Joe Armstrong's tone on Green Day's Dookie. Did he have one guitar tone? And so this pedal is going to give it to you. And is that the only thing you ever want? The only thing I've ever wanted in my entire life was to sound just like Billy Joe Armstrong on, I don't know, name, give me a song from Dookie. Um, who gives a fuck? American <laughs> idiot. I don't know. Who, who so, gives I, a I'm just fuck saying. at this point? Dial in your, t- I mean, really? And it's going to be limited to 3,000 of them. Thousand, yeah. 3,000. All right. So let's, let's, um, I want to talk. We talked Anything about else being, interesting from there being No, we're done. But we talked about there being too many damn drive pedals, too many damn distortion pedals, too many damn yeah. pedals in general. Um, I agree to point like we, we really only have like a handful of actual, like unique pedal designs that the vast majority of it's all just like, let's change a component here and there. Um, I want a circuit designed a circuit, not, like a modded circuit, but a circuit designed from the ground up where I can get the flexibility that I get out of a tube or out of a, um, a tube. Oh, geez. Um, yeah. Out of a, out of a fuzz phase by rolling my volume knob back, but I don't want it to be a fuzz. I want it to be a function. Right. Now there are some pedals out there that can get pretty close. The, um, uh, Ibanez slash max on SD nine sonic distortion yep. can do it. Um, I just don't think there's enough like tonal guts to it. If you could make this guy, which is the angry driver, do it. Perfect. Yeah. Um, but that's, again, that's the thing. Like, I think there are not, there are both too many drive pedals and not enough. We don't have enough design. We have a lot of the same drive pedals and distortion pedals being made over and over and over at infinitum. Yep. Let's do some unique stuff. Let's do some new stuff. Don't throw an octave on it. Like start designing circuits from the ground up. Go to go to uh, Mauser and order yourself some op amps and get some shit that people aren't using and start building some new circuits. Look to solve the problems that people have right now. Like yeah. That's that's what what just what gets me is that um Clearly, low end and how a distortion that handles proper low end is a big part of a lot of modern players. And I just don't see people taking a different approach to it. Like, it's like, oh, well, we'll just cut bass on our circuit so it'll work better doing this. Right. Um, I don't know. We're just going to scoop the mids. Yeah. Scoop the mids. Um, that does it. 
You know, you know what, you know what pedal they need? The ice cream scoop. That's what they should just come out with the ice cream scoop. And that's going to be the scoop, the mids. And what they need is like a, then on the other side of it, you put a tube screamer. So what, what you do is you, you scoop the mids and then you have the two. This is what they should do. This is a cool pedal. This would be a cool pedal. So the, the, um, the ice cream scoop would scoop the mids and then feed it to the, to the tube screamer, which then would put them back. And then you could have the, you could have it go in the opposite direction. The tube screamer would throw a bunch of mids into the ice cream scoop and the ice cream scoop would see how much it could scoop out. Wouldn't so, that be cool? That, then you could blend the knobs. We gotta, gotta have blend function because blend is gonna make it that much better. And you could blend between the two. Or here's what you could do. Just instead of instead of having Jim, shut the fuck up. <laughs> instead of instead of having this shit, just put a fucking mid-control on your we damn can, we can put some of this shit in there, or we can put some of that shit. Or we'll put I'm some of this over here. He doesn't it see doesn't how it matters. Yeah, yeah, we're playing with our knobs. nipples right here is what he's doing. Now, no, I'm not, but okay. So um, I do want to get back to Wampler's thing. So Wampler's thing is called the Terra, uh, the Terraform. Yeah, Terraform. And what it's got, listen to this, 11 custom designed effects. Now, this is a pedal. Oh, no, I didn't see actually is, I didn't see that. And you know what? He's uh, he, So that's not the pedal that's coming out. He's actually showing it at NAMM and asking people for feedback on what modes the final product should have. Right. That's what I was about to say. So right now, 11 custom designed effects, which are slow gear style, U-Vibe, phaser, through, through zero flanger, subtractive flanger, additive flanger, chorus, three voice chorus, dimension style chorus, har, um, tremolo and harmonic tremolo. We're consistently tweaking it right now. They're, they um, These, as we want to make sure they're perfect. So as of the time we're writing, this is how it looks. It probably will change. We're currently working on a few things that may um, replace one or two of the effects. Only time will tell. So what you've got is a pretty cool pedal. It's going to do some cool stuff. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, you know what? It's the Wampler version of the Keeley, Keeley uh, mod workstation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's fine. Like, um, I don't think so that's the thing. Like, I don't think we have enough mod pedals. No, I, I think there's some other areas of modulation that we could probably explore. Well, here's here's the thing. There's always like, do you want a flanger or do you want a chorus or do, where this it's like, you know what? You're probably not going to use a flanger with a chorus, but you got them, you got them stacked. You got them in there. Yeah. And I think there's so like there's still some stuff that they don't really do very good in an analog way. Um, I've heard only a couple. And the vent, the mini vent is my favorite uh, pedals that simulate a rotating speaker. Yep. And then um, I've only heard like a couple of really good pedals that um, can do like the scanner vibrato out of a Leslie kind of yep. sound. Um, the warp vinyl is one of them that can do it. And uh, that's part of the reason why I still have one laying around because I think it's one of the coolest sounds. Um, that's what I use all the time. But I, I think we got a lot of room to grow. I don't think anybody does a really good use vibe. I've had several Univibe pedals. You saw the pictures I posted of old boards. I had the Deja Vibe on there for a while. I had the Viscous Vibe. Um, I think the Helix actually has a vibe in it. I, I prefer it to the Viscous. Yeah. Um, and um, I've tried dozens of others, and I've never found one. So the, the, the problem is the vintage ones, the ones that are just like the vintage Univibe, are great, but they have all of the problems with vintage. Just noise and like, 
pick up radio frequencies and all kinds of crazy shit like that. And then the ones that are more modern don't sound good. So it's right. almost like somebody's got to crack the code there and come up with a way to make an old unified that sounds good. Um, the other thing I want to see is the Synthi Hi-Fi. Somebody has got to emulate some of those sounds. We talked about that pedal a while back. Um, that was a pedal that was used by a lot of guys, um, specifically uh, David Gilmore, um, yep. guys in Genesis, so Steve Hackett, and um, yep. and uh, all that. And it's got some very unique sounds in it. Mike Rutherford. Do some, yeah, I think he uses as well. Um, it has some very unique sounds in it. Could do a lot of weird shit. Yep. I'd love it if somebody would like make a similar pedal. If Wampler made like a synthy high fly kind of, you know, maybe not the whole thing because we've seen that. I showed you the thing. It looks like a mixing console, but like do a couple of the sounds out of it in a pedal. I, I mean, I would probably buy one. Yeah. That's the kinds of things that I'm like, yeah, dude, like that's the kind of shit we need because it's innovative. It doesn't sound like anything else. Right. I, I can't pick a single effect that that thing does that I can get through something else. Right. So I think that that's, um, that, that, that's a, uh, I think, I mean, we're always seeing new overdrive pedals. We're always seeing new gain pedals. We're That's always what seeing sells, though. How many, when you see these, like, uh, when you go on like pedal boards, you don't have pedal boards of doom, are you? Yeah. When you go on pedal boards of doom. Um, I actually love that thing. Cause you get to see all these people's different rigs. And I, I actually like seeing how other people approach the same problems. Right. Like, when I see the pedal boards of doom and I see these guys have like seven fuzz pedals, three overdrives and like two distortions, you're going, honestly, you have nine pedals on your board and like seven of them are dirt. Like what the fuck? Honestly, now that now here's where I get, I'm going to um, kind of make myself look stupid, but I, I can see a few, even I have three and effectively I have four because I have a fuzz pedal. I have the um, uh, Paisley deluxe, which actually is two. And then I have the, the BD, the um, uh, blues driver. Right, that's Wampler modded. So um, I, I have those for different voices, and so I can understand if somebody said to me, "You know what? Just like you would, and I'm sure you would, because you're you're more of a fuzz aficionado than I am." You would say to me, "You know what, Jim? I use this fuzz for these things. I got this fuzz for these things. I got this." Yeah, fuzz. and I don't. So, and I don't know whether it's because I have a proximity to fuzz or not, but I I, I understand completely what you're saying. And and you're right. I do see more distinction between them, but I also feel like fuzz is one of the few like dirt circuits, dirt types. Because I this is really more of a spectrum anyway. But once you get into that end of the spectrum, like there is a plethora of different sounds on tap based on the component selection and all that. So right. uh, that I I kind of see. Um, I still think there's room to grow there. I think that room to grow is actually in the opposite direction of where people are looking. Right. Which is why everybody's trying to go back to stuff. Right. And I'm like, no, I want more usable stuff. Right. Like I want you to go in the other direction and try to make fuzzes that are more like overdrives or try to make fuzzes that are more controllable and contained, but can still give me some of those awkward. Right. But everybody wants to go in that other direction. They, oh, I need to, I need to make a fuzz pedal that was just like this. It's It's wild and crazy or it's a muff. And it, right, and it's already being done. Everybody right. and makes it really a, a, right a muff with like three different styles. They all do. It's a, it's a muff or it's a fuzz face. I mean, that's pretty much what you got, right? But well, yeah, yeah. I mean, from, from major manufacturers, yes. Yeah. Um, 
obviously they're smaller guys. You get into people like uh, Sean Wright and and yeah. his company and like that. They're making some kind of like different stuff. Correct. And you'll find like there, there's obviously your um, uh, somebody was asking for tone benders. Like there's some different pedals out there too that get cloned a lot. But yep. the vast majority of what you're going to see is either a muff or a fuzz. Right. A, a clone. Yeah. And and for overdrives, it's unfortunate, but you've got a lot of clones there, obviously. Blues drivers? Blues drivers. Tube screamers. Yep. Some DOD 250 stuff, but not a whole yep. lot. Nope. And then uh, I'm trying to think there's another circuit that. that, that it's, clone. Oh, the clone. The clone is, well, but that's the, the du jour right now. Five yeah. years, I don't think you'll see as many clone clones. No. But, no, I think I think we've seen the the end of the clone clone bubble, and it's it's starting. The original clones are still going to go for like two grand. Oh yeah, oh, that's yeah. not going to change. <laughs> well, it's because they're they're um, they're rare, not because you know. I, I, honestly, I don't know. Is it's because they're that much better than the than some of the clones? I've I've seen some of these clones are pretty pretty impressive. You know what I mean? Uh, the one good time music does is great. Yeah. And uh, I actually, the Archer icon is pretty good too. Yeah, the, I was going to say the Archer icon. And what is um, Wampler's got? What is it? Is it the uh, Tumnus? Tumnus. The Tumnus? The reason why the Tumnus is popular is because it was like the first lawn stuck into a finger size enclosure. But it sounds pretty damn good, to be honest with you. Yeah. So, so yeah. there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of different things out there, you know. Um, so if you're a designer and you have a different dirt pedal, something that's really different, like totally unique circuit that you came up with, maybe you stole an idea from somewhere. Like if you, I, I think, I think there's a, like a fine line between like, Oh, this is an emulation of a circuit. And this is like, this is a circuit that's been completely gutted and, and redesigned. So if you took the, um, like the buffer out of a boss pedal and then you took um like, let's say you take the buffer out of a boss pedal and then take a tube screamer and then you make it clip um, like asymmetrical clipping. Yep. Um, you get an SD one, you know, like that's, and that's a pretty different pedal in my opinion. I know a lot of people are like, well, it sounds like tube screamer. I don't think you get a big a mid bump in that. Um, and maybe right. there's differences in the tone stack there too. But, but the whole point is that you can have a pedal like that where it's, it is derivative, but it's different. Exactly. Evolution. I don't think we see a lot of evolution. I see I think no. we see a lot more cloning with like minor component changes. And honestly, you know, I kind of can't blame a lot of these creators because what's the first thing people do when they see one of their, their favorite, I don't care if it's favorite movie, favorite guitar, everything. Why do they have to change it? You know, you hey. ruined it for me. Hey. For, for for our fans of the show, I want to I want to point something out that, that they probably knew, but if they didn't know, it's interesting to think about. So the rat, um, the Proco rat, yeah, the Proco rat, yep. and I think it was based off another pedal. Uh, the Proco rat begat the Boss HM2, yep. the 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 heavy metal or the the what the heavy metal distortion that that like shaped the sound of uh, metal. Metal yeah. and that pedal begat. So, and the rat is also related to the Big Sonic Expandora. Yep. But the rat pedal itself, I believe, bears a lot of similarities to a Big Muff, where they changed the uh, the tone circuit out for a filter. 
And then the big yeah. love goes back to the tone benders, the, th- the three transistor tone benders. So if you really look at like the lineage of, of how that pedal evolved, I mean, those are some really different fucking sounds. Tone yeah. bender does not sound like a, like a muff. A right. muff does not sound like a rat. Not a rat at all. does not sound like a big sonic expander at all. Nope. You know, and so if you think, if you look at a pedal like that, that is a clear evolution. Yep. So that's what I'm getting at. We need more evolution and less rehashing. Well, you know, another evolution is Marshall came from Fender. Yeah. Marshall was in the beginning, whether um, people know this or not, was initially a Fender clone. And then what was Mesa was a, um, were they Fender or Marshall clone? Mesa's were a Fender clone and they weren't a clone. So Mesa's were. Well, not really. Yeah. They, they were, were a joke. That's what they were. Yeah. They took a Princeton, put a big ass transformer in it, bigger tubes. Uh, it took a Princeton and basically made it like a, like a, a 75 watt monster with a 12 inch speaker in it. Yep. It was a country Joe and the fishes amp, I think is what they fucked up and they did that on. And then, uh, as the legend has it, Carlos Santana walked into the store and played it and they had to build it. So, yep. Uh, but that's, that's basically what that was. And it's the same thing. Like it's just this dynamic evolution to what we know now. And of course the first, Mesa Mark was, or the first boogie Mark, because they were boogies. Uh, yep. And even technically today, the Mesa Mark series is still marketed as boogie. Um, they they have evolved way differently than people would have anticipated. Because if you go back and you play like a Mark One, and you compare it to even a Mark Two C Plus or yep. Mark Four. They're just totally different animals. They're all different. Oh and yeah, the Mark V is a further evolution. Yep, and that's the. Uh, now, oh, did you see? They put uh, basically put out another boogie. What? Yeah, they did. They weren't. They weren't at NAM, were they? No, I didn't think so. They no, they, they, they. Their whole thing is like they sell direct. Fuck it. They don't care anymore. They. They. They're honestly like. They literally give no fucks about whatever trend is going on in the industry right now. Oh, everybody's going to NAMP. Good for them. Oh, the 6v6? California Tweed? Yeah, the California Tweed. Yep, 6v6, 440. Oh, wow. Yeah, Yeah, that looks pretty hot, too. It was was pretty a a quiet announcement from them. I Um, I think this is going to blow some Supro people away. Yeah, I can't wait to actually play one, but... um, Yep, same I mean, here. Because it's, it's a tweed thing, and I'm not really tweed amps, but I still want to try it out. Yep. You know, I want to see the, the base to take on a tweed. I still haven't played a triple crown. Like, I need to get into good time. They'll let me play one. Well, Mesa definitely knows what California, you know, they're, that's where they are. So I still think the Fillmore is a, is a good amp. I just think that the – I think now that the dust has settled, I would I would be more willing to buy one. Um, even at the price they're selling them at now, then, or I played one the other day and I killed. Well, really this California Tweed, you might like it even more knowing the price. Yeah, I know. I saw the price already. It's yeah, it's right there in line with the uh, um, with the Lone Star Special. So well, so, and and also makes it in line with the Fillmore. Yep. So um, I, it's clear that Mesa realizes that they need to have like a more budget oriented line but what i like about this is it's budget for them is still yeah well budget for them is is, 
is still yeah well over fifteen hundred dollars. But um, so this thing is uh, 40, 30, 20, 10, and two watt. Yep, it goes down to extreme low mode. Yep, one channel. Yeah, and so the reason why I'm not jumping head over heels for the thing um, is because I number one, I'm not a big fan of the tweed sound. Like I, I understand it has its place. Um, my my the thing is so, so go down to two watts with tubes, and those tubes are not going to sound the same running. No, no. so. And that's why I'm like, I'd eh, really rather just do an attenuator. Yep. So, yep. I think an attenuator is a smarter buy than a new. Yeah. So anyway, that that sounds like a, a good place to wrap up. I did not know about this amp. I've been. It was not a NAM announcement either. Well, no, it wouldn't be because they don't do NAM. Yes, they don't. Right. So they they're like, yeah, fuck it. Who cares? We don't I think care. They what- might have done NAM in the past, but they're. They don't really give a shit about that kind of thing. No. <laughs> it's just, it didn't go this year. Um, no, other notables we kind of just didn't talk about was the new Strymon, the, the uh, Volante. Um, I oh, the Strymon? don't think there was really any need for the Volante, but I guess some people really want magnetic drum echo sounds. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think there were a couple of acoustic guitar reveals at NAMM that probably interested people. I know that um, who's the who's the real popular British guy? He's got an acoustic coming. Up. Oh, Guthrie Govan? No, 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 the young kid, the pop guy. Oh, Ed Sheeran. Uh, yeah, Ed Sheeran. Yeah, he's got yeah, Ed Sheeran has one. And and shock and disbelief is an affordable line too. Um, no way. Yeah, it's supposed to be inexpensive. Um, well, you know, that's what they did with the Taylor Swift model, too. Well, that's why I'm saying, like, big surprise. Like, I think they should. Oh, um, yeah. I agree. He's a gateway guy. Like, like many bands that I'm sure that many of us grew up, like, learning their music and then realizing later that crap. Um, <laughs> like, Green Day, for example. Uh, you get a guitar and then, like, you start learning about it. You're like, oh, this is actually not that good. But that was a gateway for me. If exactly. Bands like Green Day, I wouldn't be listening to rock. I don't know that I would be even that interested. So, yeah, it would be it would be a different thing altogether, wouldn't it? And hopefully, listening to Gemini rant and rave and actually talk about actual name shit. Yep. Um, I hope you sat through the first half hour of the podcast. If you're here, you probably did. Um. I think that part of the podcast is more important than the gear stuff. We don't, we talk about gear a lot in this show. I think I want to underline the fact that gear is not as important as people make it out. Um, Yeah. I I will, I will, um, before we get off um, and I'll probably talk more about it uh, in another episode, but I wanted to bring this up. So I saw a post in another guitar forum where um, someone had asked, he said, I've got a um, Fender Reverb, uh, a 68 Fender Reverb or something like that, and a um, uh, ME80 or something. And um, I want I want to get rid of it and get a, uh, um, a modeling amp. What should I do so that I'm not chasing tone? I told him, I said, if you're getting a modeling amp, you're going to be chasing more tone than you already are chasing with what you've yeah. got. And and my advice to him was, don't do that. 
but you I should sell it all and get a Fender Acoustasonic. Yeah. <laughs> and the an Acoustasonic. And the resale on those guitar, those Acoustasonic um, amps is poop. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty oh, bad. Shit. Well, the thing is, like, I didn't really ever think they were all that bad. That's what, the amp? Yeah, I mean, they're they're not, they're not great. They're not great, but they're not bad. They're not the I, worst you can get. I made I made a lot of money playing through a little acoustic. I want to say it was ninety watt system. I would yeah. set that up on a on the top of a table in a little pizza place, playing a solo, um, three nights or uh, two nights a week, three hours a night, and I made some really good money under the table doing that stuff. Not not that I would ever do anything under the table, or that I would never. Um, report it to uh, oh, that side. I, one thing we forgot to talk about. One thing. Yeah. Um, we'll save this for next episode, but I'll bring it up tonight. Uh, Rob Chapman has his own line of pedals coming out now. Oh yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm kind of interested to see what those are like. I know that that there's a lot of people who poo poo on um, Rob Chapman, but I got to tell you, first of all, I'm a fan. Second of all, I love the new album. I really do. And uh, I like the I like the playing on it. I you like his singing. You talking about Dorje? No, I'm talking about his his uh, his new album. Um, he's got a he's got a new album out. It's a um, huge seller. Well, Dorje uh, is Dorje is his uh, his band. I was like, yeah, no, it's not Dorje though. Dorje is not dead. But oh, yeah. um, so Rob Chapman put out a new album. Um, and so it doesn't matter. Rabia is better anyway. Yeah, that's what everybody. Yeah, I know everybody. Yeah, Rob Chapman. I really do think Rabia is a fucking killer player, though. It's a oh yeah, of course Rabia is an incredible player. Um, but he's got a new his his new album is uh, Clock Clockwork Wolf. Yeah, I think I and heard Company. It. I'll check it out. And uh, you should really, I mean, if you got a chance, check it out. Check it out. But uh, his new pedals. Um, I saw some stuff about it coming out and. I'm interested. I'm interested. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. All right. Well, uh, so we've gone way over. Uh, I have been David. I've been Jim. And tonight we were your practicing guitarists. Go away. Good night. Good night.